Hey, welcome in. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. No baseball? Presented by Orion Sports Medicine. No baseball. Now I know how stay-at-home moms feel on uh, you know weather cancellations for their kids at school. It's like you had all these plans for the day, and now you're stuck with uh, you know all these things to do now. So that's kind of where we're at today. But welcome in. It's the Justin Kinner Show. I'm Justin Kinner. He's Kev Nash. The show brought to you by Orion Sports Medicine, manager whatever for the Boston Celtics. Um, and now Brad Stevens is stepping down as head coach, and he's going to resume President the duties. President of basketball operations. Yeah, it's all the same thing, right? Like yeah. I mean, who knows what those titles mean. But uh, Brad Stevens is going to step down now as the head coach of the Celtics, and he will resume the duties of Danny Ainge, and now they're you know, looking for a new head coach. I thought that was pretty big and significant news out of the NBA. And then the biggest news of the day, one that really kind of hit hard a little bit to me, because the one thing I love about college sports, Kev, is that you're a fan of guys, or you have a connection with guys in college sports that you don't even realize you do, even if you don't like them. Like, you got to understand, like, when Urban Meyer retired, you know, the second time, uh, the second time, or when he left Ohio State, even the haters of Urban Meyer, a piece of them left the game. Like, it's not, when legends leave the game, even if you hated them, and this goes for when, perfect, like, when Tom Brady, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but when Tom Brady retires, that's going to be a tough day. I, I don't want to see Tom Brady leave. I mean, right. you know, I grew up watching Tom Brady and hating Tom Brady and rooting against Tom Brady. That stinks when, when guys like that leave. It's, you know, Tim Duncan, I was never a big Tim Duncan guy, but when he retired, I was like, man, that's kind of sad. Like, I grew up watching Tim Duncan play. Uh, when Kobe retired, I was like, man, that, that, that got me. Um, Roy Williams college basketball legend retired earlier this summer i should say i guess spring and that caught a lot of people by surprise because there was no like you know swan song there was no farewell tour there was no i'm going to come back for one more year uh we'll line up a successor and kind of go for the, it was just deuces i'm out like that, that was roy williams now probably and that was one of the biggest names in college basketball history as well as today's game especially now, the other breaking news today, of course, that happened, it was, well, none other than Coach Krzyzewski has announced that after 41 years as the head coach of the Duke Blue Devils, he's going to call it a career. Uh, coach Krzyzewski has won five national championships, all with Duke. He has won over 1,000 games, over almost 1,100 games, all with Duke. Um, and pretty much the entire success of that program has all come with him as the head coach of that program. In fact, uh, when you look at the 41 seasons that Mike Krzyzewski has been the head coach of Duke, they've won one. 1,097 games, Kev. There's been 116 total seasons of Duke basketball. Outside of the Coach Krzyzewski years, they've won 1,100 games, 1,117. So in the 75 seasons without Coach K, they've won 1,100 games. And in the 41 years with Coach K, they've won the equivalent. And he's going to surpass that you know, this coming up season. Um, when you look at the NCAA tournament appearances for the Duke Blue Devils, Coach K's made the NCAA tournament 35 times uh, with the Duke Blue Devils. Duke only made it eight times in the 75 years without Coach K. Uh, 12 Final Four appearances for the Duke Blue Devils with Coach K. Only four Final Four appearances <laughs> without him. Which, by the way, I think that's pretty impressive. I didn't realize that Duke right. had those runs even before him. Uh, but all five NCAA, all, all five national championships for the Duke Blue Devils have come with Coach Krzyzewski. He is the Duke Blue Devils program. When you think of college basketball, like when I think of college football, um, 
I think of Nick Saban right away. That's the that's the name and the face that comes to my mind right away. Even if Urban was the coach, as much as I love Ohio State, and even if Urban, Nick Saban, he's just the he's the face of college football. It's different than in the pros, where the athletes, you know, Tom Brady's the face of the NFL. Patrick Mahomes maybe the second face, or maybe the premier face now, depending on how people view it. Of the NFL, the NBA, it's still LeBron. Maybe Steph Curry. You know, there's some stars emerging there. You know, baseball. We always talk. I don't know who the face of baseball is. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, people want to say Mike Trout, but I don't think you know. That's, I don't want to get in that conversation. College basketball, it's Coach K. No, it's not. I hate Coach K. But you know who Coach K is. Like You don't have to like the face of the league. Or, but as long as that face, when you think of that sport, that face is what comes to mind, th- Coach K is that. And I think this is a huge deal for college basketball. I think that he, you know, outside of John Wooden, he is the best basketball coach of all time. Coach Krzyzewski is the second co- best college basketball coach of all time. Um, and I think that this is a huge blow for college basketball. Um, Roy Williams retiring was a big blow for college basketball. You know, bidding farewell to, to Coach K after this year. I don't even know how much longer Bayheim has um, as far as that goes. So, you know, once those guys are out, that's a huge chunk. That's almost a half. I mean, well, we're talking close to 50 years for all those guys. Yes. Not combined, but I mean, like, almost all of those guys have been at least 40-plus years. It is absolutely insane the amount of success that college basketball has had as a whole across the board for all teams with those guys being the faces of college basketball. I think this is a huge deal. The difference, the reason Coach K to me is such a legend and such a big deal is because he is Duke basketball. Roy Williams was part of North Carolina, but he wasn't North Carolina. We, you know, Dean Smith, you know, North Carolina has won plenty of national championships before Roy Williams was there. Roy Williams just did what everyone else was doing there. Kansas has won championships with multiple coaches. Kentucky has won multiple national championships with multiple coaches. Duke is Duke because of Coach K. That's why I said it was kind of caught me by surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, 116 years um, that Duke has been around. They've made it to four Final Fours without Coach K. They've made it to, what I say, uh, 12 with him. Um, so I, I find that fascinating. Again, the five national championships. We don't know what that program is going to be without Coach K. Right. We could sit there and say that the brand is big and everything like that. We'll see. We'll find out. But North Carolina has proven that they can continue to go on after losing a legendary coach. We've seen North Carolina has lost many legendary coaches, and the beat keeps going. Kansas has done it. I don't even put Kansas as deep into the blue blood category as I do Duke and North Carolina and even Kentucky right now. But Kentucky's won multiple national championships with multiple coaches. Duke is Duke because of one man and one man only, and that is Coach Krzyzewski. North Carolina was already branded. All these other big programs were branded, and they had their their base. Coach K was the base. He created the base, built the base, and then now it's you know stacked a mile high. Now it's absolutely insane. I hate to see him go. I know you're a Syracuse fan, uh, so you're going to come at this with a different perspective. But I think even you know how much uh. he has meant to the college basketball world. One more point on this, yeah. I will say. You know, the NBA playoffs right now, we're tuning in to watch Dame Lillard in Portland, LeBron in the Lakers. We're watching the Stars. Like, I, I can't wh- – what's the most significant coach in the playoffs right now? I can't think of one. Like, I remember growing up, by the way, it was Phil Jackson. It was Pat Riley. Right. Like, the, the coaches were – they were personalities. Right. The NBA doesn't have any coaching personalities because that's how big the personalities are with the players. As far as college basketball goes – I'm tuning in to watch Beheim against Coach K. I'm watching Roy Williams against Coach K. I want Cal. I want Duke and North Carolina or Duke and, and, and Kentucky. I want because the coaches, the NCAA tournament, to me, it's the coaching matchups. That's really what I tune in for because, again, everything else falls under the umbrella of the coaches. The NBA, the coaches are just, they're, they're puppeteers, in my opinion. Like, you know, but in college basketball, this is their program, it's their campus. Their coaches have less power today than they've had in decades past.
past. But man, this is a big blow. Even if you don't like Duke, I've saw people's comments all day today, you know, and they're very inappropriate, but I can't read all those, but uh, <laughs> I figured that they were coming. But the point is, is that if you think that the second that Coach K walks off the floor for the final time as a head coach of the Duke Blue Devils, college basketball is is worse off without him. Not saying it can't survive. It's not. I'm not being dramatic, but it is basketball's not better without him. Basketball is not better today than it was two months ago before Roy Williams retired. Basketball will take a step back when Beheim retires, uh, unless he has one of his 85 kids taking over the program, right? <laughs> so, big loss today for college basketball, but I'm kind of pumped to know. I, I'm glad that they're doing the farewell season for him. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, fun story about Coach K. Uh, Coach K and Duke, the very first tournament I remember is them getting blown out in the national championship game versus UNLV. I remember watching that game with my brother and Duke losing by 30 and I was like they were in the national championship game. They're supposed to be the number two team in the country. They lost by 30 to UNLV. The team has Stacey Yaldman, Larry Johnson, Greg Anthony, Anderson Hunt, uh, and a ton of other guys that played in the NBA. And then that very next year, that very next year, that same Duke team came back to the Final Four, plus Grant Hill. And they were able to upset UNLV. And that started, like, the ball rolling uh-huh. for Duke basketball and winning championships and everything like that. And that team obviously had Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, uh, a ton of guys that played in the NBA. So well. many personalities. Not just that team, but yeah. so many under his umbrella, man. It's yeah, un- so, unbelievable. So, like, that's, like, started the ball for, for me and college basketball and everything like that. And there's no denying what Coach K has accomplished on the collegiate level. But also, you know what I'm saying, coaching USA basketball. You know, it's a, his ability to relate to players and get people to buy in because, you know, before – the whoa one and done thing before Duke really bought into the one and done thing. Let's not forget, man. They still won a national championship. They beat Butler with a bunch of dudes that wasn't one and done. Um, one of the guys that's on the coaching staff right now, who is a candidate to be the coach in waiting, was on that team, and a ton of other guys that had a cup of coffee in the N- NBA. And then he transitioned to the one and done guys and still won championships. So he's won at different levels of college basketball he won with the veteran guys with the upperclassmen with christian leitner and bobby hurley and those type of guys got back to final four his uh senior year with grant hill then had the you know saying other guys that weren't one and dones in the one and done era then he won during the one and done era so coach k i may be a duke hater but that's just all just like fun and games but there's no doubt in my mind that he's one of the best coaches of all time, and I have nothing but the utmost respect for him because he knows the game of basketball far better than I ever will. So it's nothing but love and respect for Coach K, and hopefully Syracuse beats them by 30. Yeah, and, you know, there was a lot of rumors, that, and you know, he was his relationship with Kobe, of course, is was always yes. really highlighted during, especially during the retirement year of Kobe. Uh, you know, he talked about some of those monumental coaches in his career. Yes, Phil Jackson being right at the top of the list, but he said Coach K uh, was actually probably the most influential coach of his entire career, and he only he technically only played for him during those Olympic stretches. Right. But he said that Coach K. I mean, what I loved about those Kobe pieces leading into his retirement was the fact that he talked about how close he was with Coach K. He would reach out to Coach K as if that was his college coach. Remember, Kobe, of course, went to the draft in 96, went to the NBA straight out of Lower Marion High School. Um, but, man, Kobe, uh, that, you know, hearing about that, but there was times where uh, Coach K was rumored to go to the NBA. 
um, a couple times yeah. during the mid 2000s when there was that little transition of Shaq had left. Uh, you know, Phil Jackson was out of the Lakers, and they were kind of in that transition period. You know, you had Kobe and Lamar Odom. Now that that group would go on to be a part of the next Laker dynasty, uh, and they ended up, you know, having Phil Jackson back. But there was that stretch where they had Rudy Tomjanovich. They they were trying to figure out and find the right coaches. Remember, there mm-hmm. there was a weird coaching carousel going on. Yep. Who was the other coach that was between there? Either way, the point is is that if you know, fine. But uh, Coach K was rumored at that point to maybe have tested the NBA waters, but obviously he stayed put. But Coach K in college, he's just. I'm glad that he never tested the NBA waters. I'm glad that he's always been a college basketball guy. You know, Nick Saban's always going to have that little stint where he went to the went to the NFL, where he went to the Dolphins, and things did not go well. And of course, people poke fun at him for that. There's not a whole lot you could poke fun at Nick Saban for, but people will always have that stretch when he was in the NFL where he wasn't Mr. Football. He wasn't the know-it-all guy. You know what I mean? So Coach K doesn't have that little weird blemish on his resume because Coach K took a a program, um, and he won more games in 40 years than the program had won in the 75 years before him. He had won five national championships in his 40 years at Duke than the 75 years before he got to Duke. So... It's been an unbelievable run, but I'm really happy he's doing the, the farewell. I hope Bayheim does it, too. I'm not a Syracuse fan, but I'm a Bayheim fan. I'm a Coach K fan. I was a big Roy Williams fan. I'm a big Calipari fan, um, but I'm not like a dire, I'm not a Kentucky fan. You know what? Mm. I just love great coaching. Bob Knight will always be my all-time favorite coach. <laughs> I know he's a sketchball and all that stuff, but like I, I, he was always – he's why I fell in love with basketball because just that personality his. I just always found him very captivating uh, in his interviews and everything. I remember watching Night School. I remember on ESPN oh when goodness. he was at Texas Tech. I mean, yeah. it was very – but I was like obsessed with that show. I was obsessed with seeing the behind-the-scenes of how coaches ran their practices, but very similar to Coach K, except Coach K doesn't have that personality and out in the public or out with the media the way that Bob Knight did. But I will say this about Coach K, and I think that, you know, I, of course, typical social media. I just basically said that I think that he's another casualty of the uh, of the transfer portal era. By the way, that wasn't a – because people know my stance on it, so that's where it rubbed people the wrong way. I said, yes, I do believe he's a casualty of the, one, or of the, the transfer portal era. The game is different today, and it has changed quickly. It has mm-hmm. not been a gradual thing. It has been within the last two or three years that this transfer portal thing has I really... Know, I think the game has been changing for a long time and, and just incremental changes. But like he's, a, he's done a good job adapting. But this time, it's like he goes, okay, I made my adaption with the one and done. I'm not doing it with this. Roy Williams even said that was part of it. Yeah. Um, so, I'm I, sorry. I, I just going. think that, like, I mean, if you even look at uh, everything that went on between... The Big East and the ACC and everything like that. Like the Big East Conference in basketball was the premier conference, and it got swallowed up by college yeah. football dollars. So, if if a college basketball conference like the Big East can basically go away and go to a channel that nobody has, everything's up for grabs. Everything's up for grabs. It's always about money. And now I just think that now that the players have some type of control over their lives, like people are losing their minds. And saying, no, this ain't the way. Well, what about the way where a, a whole conference basically just disappeared overnight? Okay, the ACC is happy because they were able to grab Louisville and Syracuse story programs. But, you know, there's a ton of other schools out there that were, like, left in limbo. Like UConn. UConn. Uh, where are they now? Are they back in the they're Big East? Yeah, they're back in the, in the Big East, East but they were but, in the American. Yeah, playing they were in America. Yeah. And that, Kevin Ollie was the and one that... that yeah. And that destroyed their basketball for their men's basketball program and to be perfectly honest their women's basketball program yes they're still winning at a, a crazy clip but they're not just locked and loaded like they used to be a lot of these uh young women are going to south carolina a lot of them are going to baylor 
You know what I'm saying? So before they had it on lock, they had it on smash. And then you look at UC. UC was in the Big East, and then they were left in limbo. So like, I just don't. I I I'm, I just have a hard time believing. Like, all right, this 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 transfer portal. This is why I got to get out of here. Well, what happened to these major universities losing major dollars and destroying conferences that didn't upset you but the players have that doesn't impact their jo- that didn't impact coach k's job this is impacting well let, let's pick up with that on the other side because i'm not coming at this aggressive and saying that coach k is like screw today screw these kids <laughs> he's 70 something years old max in the amount of work that goes like i will say i'm not saying coach k has not had to work hard he had to work hard to build the program but there was a period of time and i mean a period of like decades where duke was on cruise control it was we hear this about ohio state football all the time we do, they, they select. They don't have to go and heavily recruit. I mean, they're recruiting. They're talking with these kids. They have to, you know, scooch over. They scoot on the couch between Clemson and, <laughs> and, and Alabama and everyone else. But they have a spot on the couch while everyone else sitting on the floor hoping they get a word in. You're, these guys are – Duke was selecting for the longest time. It wasn't very difficult to – he's had to work very, very hard over the last five or six years. I don't know if last year was because – the struggles were because of COVID or because, hey, you know, I work hard to lay out a roster for the next two or three seasons, and now we're hitting reset every year and I don't I think that the older coaches that's why you know we're seeing coaches tap out and just say I adjusted to the one and done I'm not adjusting to this doesn't mean that it's wrong but I do think for these guys being as old as they are and as old school as they are there's no way but let's pick up with that we're on Facebook go to uh, go to Facebook search the Justin Kenner show uh, jump in on the comment section there your thoughts on uh, Mike Krzyzewski calling it a career and at least after this upcoming season uh, and Duke of course has the number four recruiting class coming in they still have a chance to maybe send him out with an championship we'll talk about that more coming up in a bit but your thoughts on coach k calling it a career four five seven nine four six four or head to facebook the justin kinner show jump in on the conversation right there also brad stevens steps down as head coach of the celtics on the same day that coach k resigns i know that coach k and duke has already announced who the next head coach of duke is going to be but i said years ago back when when butler was in the horizon league back when he was there brad steve i've been saying for a long time and that's the next head coach at Duke. That's the next head coach at Duke. <laughs> I know Duke's already come out with who they want, but I'm telling you right now, they, they you know, I think that plan was put in place before they knew today that Brad Stevens was going to resign. I'm very curious what the future of Duke is going to be as far as who the head coach is going to be. I know they've announced who it's going to be. We'll talk about that on the other side. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, presented by Orion Sports Medicine. We'll be right back. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Justin, you're awesome, baby. Right here on 1410. National Championships, six gold medals as head coach of Team USA, 15 ACC tournament titles, 12 Final Four appearances, and over 1,100 wins, 1,170 career wins, uh, which, of course, uh, is, well... That's right there, an NCAA record. Coach K going to coach one more season. It'll be his 42nd season uh, of his career coming up with the Duke Blue Devils. Look, they have the number four recruiting class coming in. Uh, look, you'd always know. Uh, what, last year, I don't know if it was COVID. I still never like to let those big programs use COVID as an excuse because if the smaller schools found ways to win during COVID, they have less resources and less ability to kind of get. Like, that's what I mean. The bigger schools who had all the resources in the world to navigate through the pandemic in what I would assume to be easier than the schools with less resources, 
I, there's no excuse why the smaller schools navigated through it better than the bigger ones. And it I wasn't just you, a Duke. It was like Kentucky. It was North Carolina. It was Duke. It was a lot of those programs really struggled during that stretch. I think it had a lot to do with the personnel on the team. I think it's a lot of young players on those teams. Uh, you know, Kentucky and Duke dabble in the one-and-done guys. Wright State does not dabble in the one-and-done guys. Really? Wright, <laughs> Wright State has a lot of upperclassmen, and that's why – they succeeded last year. A lot of the teams that didn't succeed are those teams that just had guys that are sticking around for one year and trying to go pro and everything like that. So look at Baylor. Like Baylor was loaded with seniors. Like rarely see a power five program make it to the final four and actually hoist the national championship trophy loaded with seniors. And then you go ahead and look at Gonzaga. They were loaded with upperclassmen and one one and gun guy like Jalen Schlucks. So you look at those teams, and I just think it just has everything to do with, hey, man, uh, maturity from the guys that are on the team, uh, expectations for yourself, and why you're truly there. Are you truly there as a stopgap, as a player? Like, you're going to college because they, well, I have to go somewhere for a year. I might as well go to Duke and play for Coach K. Are you doing that? Or are you choosing to go to the G League? Are you choosing to go overseas? Or are you a guy at a right state or at a Baylor like, yeah, I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs> so if I'm going to be here for a while, I might as well give it my Put all. the work in. and, and, that, and that's, set, how yeah. I, that's how I viewed it. And maybe, that, maybe that's the case. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, it was one of those years. I mean, look, you get Gonzaga getting to the finish line. Uh, but, you know, you look at the Big Ten. They're, I guess, not the one and duns, but they're the two and duns, I guess, if you, you know, as far as that goes. But very strange nonetheless uh, as far as how all that panned out but i think that duke is going to be in a weird position a good position to you know play extra motivated you know i think that down the stretch you know you're going to have these one and done guys on this duke roster coming up and we'll look at the roster here around the corner but when you look at how all that shapes up it's like those guys they're going to of course be motivated to play because that's just what they're super competitive but i think that right now having the opportunity to really you know rev it up towards the back half of the season because you want to send coach cowan on top you don't want him to be one of those one or two seeds that gets upset in the NCAA tournament, and that's the lasting memory you have of of Coach K. I don't know what the the right the right way to go out is. I, winning a national championship, of course, <laughs> uh, but it's always strange when you bid farewell to play. Like Kobe, everyone was like, "Man, that was such a that was such a crappy way to watch an all time great have his career end." That's like actually, it's probably the best thing that could have happened because unless you actually had a a elite team to win a, an NBA championship, the second best thing to have happen is is not losing the first round of the playoffs. That has a weird feeling and a weird ending to it. Kobe not making the playoffs in his final year as an NBA player was the best thing that could have happened because that game we knew was the last game. We, right. get, we knew it was. And it was more loose, and he got to go out there, and it got to be about him to where in the NCAA tournament, you know, it's one of those where if Coach K gets upset in the first or second round, that's just a weird way to go out. But I'm not saying Duke should not make the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I'm just saying. But uh, I mean... We look at how sports is, man. Most guys don't go out hoisting that trophy. I mean, I can only think of like three dudes that did that: Peyton Manning, John Elway, Jerome Bettis. Like, like but it lined up with them though. Like they were old. Like they didn't have another year left in them, and they just got I think like Elway had another year left in them. Jerome Bettis, he was. I mean, he was just a goal line back at that point. Uh, Peyton Manning with all the neck surgeries, he didn't have a zip on the ball. I think if you know your your shot. John Elway up with enough drugs and enough duct tape, he could have got out there for another season. But, like, it's very rare that, you know, the all-time greats go out the way they want to go out, like go out on top. I mean, look at Jerry Rice. I mean, Jerry Rice, the best receiver ever to play the game. He ended up getting cut by the Seattle Seahawks. Like, 
<laughs> so, I mean, it just happens like that. But and that's what I mean. It's like they... The reason, like, Peyton Manning and them, like, they had nothing left. Like, they right. they were on their last leg anyways. Jerry Rice makes the Super Bowl with the Raiders. Yeah. With, I think with only a couple... That, that's where he should have pulled the plug, but he felt he had another year or two left in him, and that's where he went wrong. To where there's a lot of guys that... You know, LeBron winning the title last year. Maybe that should have been where he called it a career, because I don't think so, but everyone keeps talking as if, you know, the, that he's just declining left and right. Um you know, maybe we might look back and say, man, he should have just called it a career after winning that championship. But he could, you know, they're going to go out probably in this next game, uh, not maybe win the championship next year. Uh, and then it's going to be one of those where you start looking at that. LeBron's probably a bad example. But the point is, there's just a lot of guys like Derrick Rose, right, you know, is a prime example right now. He's not, in a, it's not like he's not going out on his own terms. He's just not in a position to win a championship. Right. You know, I know that they thought that getting, having the number eight overall pick was going to get a player to lead them to, a, to an NBA <laughs> championship. But uh, what? But uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a moment. I do want to bring this up about Coach K real quick. There are things that great coaches do that not just make them great, but prolong their careers and allow them to take their you know programs to that next level. We are watching a mirrored image of each other, of, of Coach Krzyzewski and Nick Saban in college football. Two coaches everyone hates outside of their own fan base. But you talked about it, the one-and-done era. Duke hated the one-and-dones. Uh, and Coach K was at a, you know, he was at a, a pivotal point in his career. He could have called it a career. Could have maybe gone to the NBA. And instead, he's like, you know, this is how the game is played. I got to adapt. Mm-hmm. So he adapted. He went the one-and-done route. Uh, and he won a national championship in the one-and-done era. And he, he went that route. And he, and he had success in that route. Um, you look at Nick Saban. Nick Saban fascinates me because he hates the way college football is played today. He hates that no matter how good a defense you have, you still can't stop the opposing team's offense. Uh, somehow they found a way to stop Ohio State's, but they stopped themselves. But that's besides the point. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like oh, I, It's interesting hearing him say that, but you, rather than him just sit there and be stuck in his ways, you went from having a bunch of no-name quarterbacks at Alabama to now all of a sudden having these gunslingers left and right. You look at the way Mac Jones has played. You look at the way Tua Tagovailoa has played. The, the style of which they've played before it was that boring style with A.J. McCarron where it was, you know, you played efficient, you played the quarterback position very efficient, you handed the ball off, you just played smart, quality football, right? Now they're airing it out with the best of them yep. because Nick Saban's like, okay, I'm either going to be swallowed up in this conference or i got to adapt to what everyone else is doing. And now he, just like Coach K, adapt to what the rest of the college basketball and football is doing, not just doing it, but dominating at yeah. it. Um, and, again, it's hard to win national ch- – I think it's way harder to win national championships in basketball than football. Um, you know, that that's besides the point. But Coach K, good for him for being willing to adapt. I think he is one of the – I don't think there's one particular reason he's retiring. Yes, he's 70-plus years old. Um, someone said that today on the Facebook page. They're like, well, he's old. John Wooden retired at 64. He's 74. And I was like, what are you talking about? He hasn't even started graying yet. His hair is – you know, I mean, his hair is black, black, man. Like, I mean, it's as black as my hair. It's insane. Um, but obviously, you know, he's had, shoe he's had to oil that thing to keep that uh, looking that way, right? But the bottom line is, yes, his age has something to do with it. But, Kev, what I meant earlier was is they were on cruise control. It was just – it wasn't heavy recruiting. It was just selecting. You could send a no-name assistant coach into any gym, into any flying to the hoop showcase around the country – See the Duke logo. Oh, Duke's here. Oh, yeah, that kid's going to pick Duke now. That's just how that. That's how they were. But then when the game started changing and adapting, then he had to sit up in his seat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And now with the game changing again with the transfer portal, it's not just recruiting the high schoolers. Now it's having to go over the top to make sure your kids on the roster are happy now, which you could say, yes, you should be doing that anyways. But I don't think these kids were that miserable before. I just think that right now the kids have... 
There's doors open that the kids didn't realize there was doors to 10 years ago. And uh, I just think he's at the age now where, yeah, I'm not, I'm not adjusting. I'm not hiring a transfer portal coordinator. <laughs> I'm not going to babysit the, co- the, the transfer portal. I'm not going to, you know, if I bring a freshman in and say, I think you need to, you know, sit this first year and really learn the game. I don't want to fear that he's just going to up and pout and take off and, and go transfer to another team because I'm not going to use him right away. I just think that that's the, the days of that are over. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one reason he left. I wasn't saying that the kids are the reason he's leaving, but the game is why. The game has passed him by a little bit. That's one reason he's stepping by. And I respect Roy Williams for actually saying that in his press conference, that the game has changed, that he's not a fan of the transfer portal, and that's one reason he stepped out. My problem is, is when coaches admit that, Kev, people attack them for it. Good for them for acknowledging it. Rather than sit up there and rip these kids and all this and just say, hey, if this is how they're going to do it, rather than me be the guy that stands in their way to keep them from doing it, I'm going to get out of their way. Yeah. And if this is how the game's going to be moving forward, then fine. I hate it. I'm not a fan of it. I think it's ruining the game. I think that if you have great coaches like this leaving because of this, that's not making the game better. That's why I said yesterday, what's best for the kids may not always be best for the sport, but there will be a happy medium at some point once everyone navigates through this. Um, but overall, I love the fact that they've acknowledged that, and they're just saying, hey, you know, this isn't for me. I'm not going to jump over. I'm not going to learn a whole new philosophy of recruiting and coaching uh, during this time. Yeah, I mean, I think that has everything to do with it. his age and him saying, you know what, I'm too old for this. You know, we've seen uh, the Lethal Weapon movies with Danny Glover says, I'm too bleeping old for this. And that's probably what he said. He said bleeping. <laughs> that's probably exactly what he's thinking. Like, look, man, if I was 10 years younger, 15 years younger, I'd be all gun ho, man. I got grandkids. I got I want to go on vacation because trust and believe if they wanted to stay, they could stay and milk the university for every nickel and dime and have a losing record. To bat, and they couldn't do anything about it. You're really going to fire Coach K? You're really going to fire Jim Beheim? You're really going to fire Roy Williams? Good luck with that. You'll be fired, uh, AD. You'll be fired, President, before they will. So kudos to them dudes for, for stepping to the side. Like, you know what? It's a, it's a younger p- person's game right now. I'm not young anymore. I'm cool. I wanted to do it my way. My I've I had my run. I've been coaching here since the 80s and late 70s or whatever. So, okay. It's somebody else's turn, and there's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with them coming out and saying, hey, man, I'm not a fan of it. Because everybody has the uh, the right to have an opinion about it. I'm I'm cool with that. I'm cool with what Roy Williams said. I may disagree with it, but I'm cool with it, and I respect the fact that he said, you know what? It ain't for me no more. Hey, next up, I'll be in the, fan, in the, in the stands cheering because I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel. I, I bleed the, the blue with you guys. Let's go. But as far as me being totally invested like that and having to do these extra things at that age, it's not going to be willing to do. And him going to AU tournaments all across the country, like, it's, it's just totally different, man. I remember him here with Luke Kennard when he walked yeah. in. That place, I mean, that was cool. That yeah. was really badass. Like, like I mean, they, like, you got to think, like you just said, dude is 70-something years old. Like, I mean, I don't want to call anybody that's 70-plus years old old, but, you know, it's up there. Old's old. <laughs> they, they, they don't even. They, if they don't think they're old, they're old. I mean, there's a reason you're putting all the color in your hair. So you, I mean, you know you're old. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I got I mean, some gray hairs for I me mean, here. It, there. it came out with everything with Brad Stevenson about him stepping down as the head coach of the Celtics and everything like that. You know, he's valuing family time and everything like that. And more power to him, man. I mean, if you're in a position to earn as much money as those guys had and be able to. Spend more time with your family, more power to you. And more importantly, Coach K got all the victories. 
He got the championships. He's got the hardware. He's good. There's and, nothing and else and to his, prove. And his family's good. And that's ultimately what, what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting if he wins a national championship this coming up year. I'll come back. He would have won a championship in the 80s, the 90s, 2000s, 2010. I mean, he would be the only coach to ever win a championship in five different decades. So uh, it would be interesting if he can pull that off. Run it back. This coming up season. Uh, Sully, uh, from the Talking Out Loud podcast, he says, Coach K isn't even the greatest coach in his own profession. I need him to explain. I love I love Sully. I just need him to explain. Like, I don't know how there could be, like, if you hate Coach K because he's a Duke coach, fine. But I don't think we could say he's not a great coach. Like, that doesn't, I, you don't become Coach K if, you, if you're not a great coach. Like, I, I can't, I can't get on that. I, I just can't agree with that. Like, explain yourself. Yeah. I'm going to, I need to text him back and find out his reasoning. Let's do a little over under. Kev Nash brings us over under on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. Listen, stream, watch. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash right here on Dayton's and radio. Um, still, to me, one of the most overrated players of all time. Just I've never seen a guy score 55, lose, and still get talked about all day as if he's just done something good. Russell Westbrook averages a damn triple-double four straight seasons, and we find every reason to, to bash him for not winning. Dame Lillard continues not winning, and yet we're going to lose our minds because, because why? He wasn't even the best player in the game last night. Okay. That's not, I mean, one. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> Ain't nothing I can say to change your mind, man. You're not a fan. That's cool. That's not that I'm not a fan. I just, I, I've, like when LeBron can score 50, uh, have 18 rebounds and 11 assists and a loss, and it's like, well, Michael Jordan, if he had that triple-double, they wouldn't have won. Well, you listen That's to those we do idiots. All the time. I don't, I don't listen to idiots, man. I watch the game, and I make a judgment call off of my eyes. I don't let other people's crazy opinions like a Skip Bayless determine how I feel about a player like that. Like, if somebody, if LeBron, like that game LeBron had against the Warriors in game one of whichever finals it was, mm-hmm. where the one with JR didn't look at the clock. That was one of LeBron's best games of his career. He was outstanding, and somehow idiots found a way to knock his game. I'm not knocking this game. All I'm saying is, <laughs> no, I'm, is I'm like, just simply talking about like people that try to knock people that that ultimately end up losing in an outstanding performance. That's all. Well, it's a results-based business, just like everything we do, and it's just continuing not to. I mean, they're going to be knocked out of this round of the playoffs, and then it's it's off we go, and it's we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> Kev Nash brings you over under. Kev Nash brings you over under. First up on deck. All right, number one. Ben Simmons, he plays for the Philadelphia 76ers. He is now 5 for 20 from the free throw line in the series versus the Wizards. Over or under three made free throws in game five for Ben Simmons. Uh, Ben Simmons is the modern day Shaquille O'Neal minus the dominance, minus the size inside, and minus ever. But the free throw shooting, he has down pat as far as his best. (laughs) Uh, Look. That's a weird look. Not being able to shoot free throws is something I'll never be able to wrap my head around. As far as like you're a professional basketball player, how do you not get better at free throws? Like that, that's strange to me. Um, you know, I get why the seven footers like Shaquille O'Neal and others like, well, okay, that's you know they're proportioned differently size wise. I just don't get how a guard cannot figure out a way to shoot free throws. Uh, but I'm gonna say, look, what was the over under again? <laughs> three, three. So to make three, to make three tonight. I, and Embiid is not playing. I think he'll make more, but he's still going to. I think I'll take the over, but he's still going to. He's not. Oh, Embiid is out. Yeah. Uh, that's why I think he's going to make more, but he's still going to miss a lot, if that makes sense. <laughs> Mainly because 
you can't. It's one thing if because that's what Doc Rivers was getting annoyed with the media after the game and asking about why do you have him out there. Which, by the way, I thought was a valid question. I mean, hell, the Lakers took Shaquille O'Neal off the floor late in games at times in tight games. And it, you know, so when Doc Rivers said he goes, well, he's he's Ben Simmons. You don't take him off the floor. Well, the Lakers took Shaquille O'Neal off the floor at times in late close game situations because of that very thing. Reporters weren't saying that Ben Simmons was bad. They were just bringing up the flaw that is his free throw shooting ability or lack thereof late in games. But I think that with no Joel Embiid, he's going to have to stay on the floor late into that game. So I'm going to take the over, but it's it's not like he's going to have a great free throw shooting night because it's just not his strength, obviously. Uh, but you, you, with no Embiid, you don't have the flexibility to have him off the floor as well. So I'm going to say the over, but it's not going to be an impressive night at the free throw line. It's just three. You can't make more than three. Oof. Oof. I'm going to take the over. I'm going to go over as well. I think that he's going to play a ton of minutes. He's going to get fouled a ton. He always ends up playing better, like, individually when Embiid isn't there. So, you know, his stats will pop and all those type of stuff. So I'm going to go over as well. And they also get the win over the Wizards tonight. No kidding. Yeah, I'm going with the dub. So, I, I, without Embiid? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Teams don't play well without their second best player. That's what I found out last night. So, uh, there's that. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, uh, so I'm taking the over on the free throws. Uh, but a big night from him. Um, and that it's that'll be interesting nonetheless. Next up. All right. Number two with 99 days to the NFL season kicks off. Over or under four weeks until Aaron Rodgers is traded from the Green Bay Packers. Don't care what anybody says. Aaron Rodgers has zero leverage here. Zero leverage here. The Packers are not going to win the Super Bowl with him next year, and they're not going to win it without him next year. So there is no panic on their part. In fact, they he loses more than they do from a money standpoint. And from what I find interesting, and this is why we did this topic, I think, last week or the week before, to where if this was a mirrored situation in Cincinnati, if Joe Burrow was holding out of the Bengals because he didn't like how they operated, um, and the fans, which you know, whose side would the Bengals fans take? Would they take Joe Burrow's side and be mad at their franchise or mad at the franchise and go against Joe Burrow? Packers fans, uh, from all the reporting I've heard over the last week, is that they've turned on Aaron Rodgers, that everyone is anti-Aaron Rodgers in Milwaukee, that they've taken the side of the, of the franchise. So the franchise knows the pulse of their fan base, and if the pulse of their fan base is on their side – then they don't need to trade him because right now they just need to kind of sit back and say, we don't need to, you know, we need to basically just, it's a staring contest who's going to blink first. If you're wondering, and this comes from Laura Rutledge uh, first t- or of Get Up in the Morning on ESPN, uh, she says, if you're wondering what's at stake financially for Aaron Rodgers, if he actually did sit out the whole 2021 season, he would lose. Okay, It's all guaranteed money if you play. Mm-hmm. And if you choose not to play, if you're healthy and choose not to play, because again, if season-ending injury, you're still going to get your money. He would lose twenty. He would forfeit twenty-two million dollars uh, plus ninety-three thousand, which seems like nothing when you're talking about twenty-two million. Uh, but uh, twenty-three million, he'd forfeit as well as ninety-three thousand for missing all of mandatory minicamp, and then he would miss. He would lose fifty thousand for each day he misses of training camp. Um, so. I just think that the, the the Packers have all the leverage. I know everyone thinks that the players do. I think that uh, Russell Wilson has more leverage over his team over there mm. uh, because they love him over in Seattle. I'm not saying that the Packers fans don't love Aaron Rodgers, but he has no leverage here. He's the one. You mean to tell me your ego is so big you're going to say, that's fine. I'll I'll lose twenty two million. That's why I hate you even more. The fact that you know, the fact that I'm trying to decide. Okay, do I want to go out to eat tonight or save money? And he's over here like twenty two million. Keep it. Right. <laughs> Screw you, buddy. Uh, no, I don't. I'm going to say uh, repeat it again. I want to make sure I'm answering uh, this correctly. Ninety nine days until the NFL season kicks off. 
over or under four weeks until Aaron Rodgers is traded from the Green Bay Packers? I'm going to say over because I do believe he gets traded at some point, but I do believe that the Packers are going to sit there and hold this out as long as they possibly can. Uh, it could be next year's trade deadline before they move him, and it may not be where he wants to go. Uh, and if that's the case, then if it's not where he wants to go, those teams have seen his attitude. They're not going to bring him into a place that they're not confident that he wants to be there. So I'm going to say the way over if it happens at all, but I'm going to say the way over. I'm going to go over as well. I think it's not going to happen until like August. Like they're going to do it and put him in a position where like, let's just even say it is the Denver Broncos. They're going to like pull the trigger like, I don't know, August 28th, you know, right before the season starts. He has missed training camp all this time with Green Bay. He hasn't. He's just been working out on his own and everything like that. So he's going to go into a situation where he has no continuity, no reps with the guys on the team and everything like that. I think they'll do it, but I think they'll do it like, all right, we'll play your games, Aaron, but we're going to trade you at the very last seconds to make sure you have a bad season because you just showing up and just playing football with a bunch of wide receivers you never had any continuity with can't be good for anybody involved. So I'm going to go with the over as well. Right now, it's uh, Kev Nash brings us your over-under. Uh, we're live on Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show. Uh, like the show page, and you can watch us live there and jump in on the comment section. Vincent Waller on Facebook, Kev, says Packers are not, in all capital letters, trading Aaron Rodgers this offseason. Is that our buddy from Beaver Creek that's a Packers fan? No, okay. I don't think so. I'm not sure. I don't know who Vincent is. Okay, I don't, I don't, he's he's nice now. He he wasn't nice to me at the beginning, but he, he's he's one of our main contributors here. So I appreciate Vincent, whether he likes me or not. I'm a big. Uh, I, I appreciate him. That's all. That's all that we matters. We got a Packers fan that calls in. Oh yeah, he gets all salty, man. I would love to hear his his viewpoint on this, man. But I'm gonna say the over. Like I said, I just I know everyone thinks that you know the Packers. Oh, they they have to move him if they want. That's a stubborn organization as it is, right. and I don't think they're going to become less stubborn. They've gone through this before, with uh, uh, obviously with Brett Favre, and they're, they're right now sitting in a spot where they have all this talent on this roster. That's the only thing I could say where the Packers will be wasting that in a staring contest with Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers is wasting a lot of talent as well. They're both wrong here. This is just the uglier, one of the more uglier uh, standoffs that we've seen in sports. It'll just be interesting to see who blinks first. Next up. All right, number three, the Knicks and the Hawks play Game 5 in Madison Square Garden. Over or under, one more win for Obi Toppin in his New York Knicks in this series. Uh, the Hawks are up 3-1. Yes, sir. Over, under, one more win. Um, I'm going to it's going to what, what, push. It's, it, they're going to win tonight. Um, I, I hate to do pushes on these over unders, but I, I, they're going to they're going to win tonight. We should have done the point, you know point five, you know yeah, point five yeah. wins, you know. But uh, p- point is, no, that was on me. It's fine. So with that, I think they win tonight. I think the Knicks get the win on their home floor, and you know they'll send their Knicks fans home happy for a great season. Uh, kind of put a cap on it. And then I think they lose in Atlanta uh, in Game Six coming up. Uh, but I, there will not. There'll probably. So I guess that's taking the over then. So there will be one more. I'm going to say over because the Knicks win tonight and then they'll lose in game six. Atlanta's way better. I, I think people were so focused on the feel-good story that was the New York Knicks. I think we wanted to buy into them being better than what they are. But uh, it, it's just like everyone said, teams who win a lot of games, the, the best defensive team in the regular season, I put zero stock into that come playoff time because that just means you were trying and everyone else wasn't. And if you don't have the talent to match the other teams in the playoffs when they decide to start trying, 
you're going to be. That's all this comes down to. Atlanta is putting forth a much different effort defensively in the playoffs than what they did in the regular season, which is why you're seeing the Knicks look a little bit more like what you expected the Knicks to be coming into the season, which was improved but not number four seed. Right. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to say the over. The Knicks win tonight. I think Obi, Obi had 13 points the other night. By the way, that was a career high for him. So congratulations, shout out to him. Uh, you like to kind of see him kind of end the season on a high note. If this isn't on the over under, but I'm going to say I'll, I'll do the over. I think he has another career high tonight. I think the Knicks are going to be just clicking on all cylinders tonight. It's going to be a very fun last game at the Garden of the season. That's not a shot at that. I just think that the, that the Hawks are better. And Trey Young, shout out to him, man. This is a breakout season for him, man. I, I'm, it's fun watching him play. He's a cool player to watch. Ice Trey, uh, I'm going to go with the under. I think the Knicks season ends tonight. Um, I'm a big R.J. Barrett fan, but he's been just as bad as Julius Randle. And the simple fact that Derrick Rose, who was robbed of three years of his professional career and battled injuries and still battling injuries to this day, is your second best player and the catalyst to your one victory in this series. Speaks volumes about how Julius Randle is struggling, how R.J. Barrett is struggling, how Bullock is struggling from the three-point line. I think those struggles continue. And also, a team that's known for their defense, especially with Coach Tibbs, they can't stop that pick and roll, man. They cannot stop that pick and roll because they got Clint Capella rolling to the rim every time. But that's not the problem. The problem is you got Trey Young, and then he's surrounded by a bunch of shooters. So you got to stay out on the shooter. So it's really a two-on-one situation. So if the big man comes up, Capella's running to the rim, catching the oop. If he doesn't, Trey Young's pulling up from 15 or 30 feet to hit the three or the two. So they can't stop that pick and roll right now. And I think it's going to be curtains for the Knicks. I think it's going to be a good game. Things going to be down to the wire, but ultimately I think the Hawks will win tonight. Uh, the reason I think the Knicks win tonight, too, is for one, their backs are against the wall, they're facing elimination, and it's the fact that the Hawks have a 3-1 lead. We've seen, like, that's why the Nets, you know, the Nets have advanced, but the Nets lost that one game to Boston because it was like they were up 3-0, and sometimes, like, when you're up 3-0, I don't think you're coming into game four with the full pedal of the metal type deal, and I think Boston was playing desperate basketball in that one game, and then, of course, you know, the, then the Nets were like, okay, we can't screw around, let's just end this tonight, and I think that's what's going to happen tonight. You have a 3-1 lead right now for the for the Hawks. I think they're going to come in just not as, they're not going to be as amped up as the Knicks. I think the Knicks get a big win tonight, and then I think Atlanta throttles them in game six, and that's kind of how it ends, but it's the psychology of, you know what I mean, the you can always kind of read the psychology of these playoff series sometimes because that's what I had I had anticipated the Celtics to get one with the Nets, and it was at the time I figured because they're playing desperate basketball just like the Knicks are. They have a commanding lead. The Hawks do just like the Nets did. And it's like you don't come in. Like, I don't think the Hawks are coming in tonight as amped up as what the Knicks are. And I think that's right there will be the edge. The Hawks are the better team, period. That's why I said at the beginning, seeding means nothing. I can care less about seeding in the NBA because it's the only sport I know where seeding doesn't reflect the true tiers of great teams in the play. Like the NFL, there's a re- you went 13. Of course, the Steelers were an interesting cat because that's, you know, the worst 11 0 team in the history of the league, right? <laughs> like they were the, you know, the division, you know, champs and everything like that. But like usually the NFL, Major League Baseball, the seeding in those truly reflects the tiers of the best team in the playoffs to the worst team in the playoffs. In the NBA, that's never the case. I mean, I still think the Lakers fully healthy. They're still the best team in the NBA, but uh, obviously that's not the case right now. Next up, speaking of the Lakers, the Lakers were favorites to win the NBA title coming into the season, which would have gave LeBron James his fifth championship with the Lakers on the brink of elimination versus Suns over or under one more championship for LeBron before his career ends. Uh, over under, and again, should the the point five on this? That's on me too. You know, I, we'll, we'll, I'll figure. Uh, I st- I think he gets. I think he has one more title in him. I don't know if it's going to be this season. Um, 
I don't. It's not. I mean, I, I'm not going to say they're going to win the championship this season if they do. If they can get past the Suns, then I'll say, okay, yes, I'll get back on that train. But they looked very vulnerable last night, like extremely. What happened last night? That wasn't just players playing bad. That was a group of guys that just did not give a fill in the four letter word. If you want, we don't have a delay on the station, so there you go. Don't. Uh, yeah, uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like that was a that was those like it wasn't like an off shooting night for the right. Lakers. That was just a, I don't give a crap night. And you know what happened? You know why that game ticked me off last night? Is usually when a team misses their second best player, a lot of times you play elevated ball because everyone's like, okay, we got to step our game up tonight. We're shorthanded. Last night, it's like everyone, it's like AD being out. It was like a message to that locker room. We don't have a chance. That's what's kind of alarming to me. I'm getting off topic here. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm going to say uh, he will get one more championship. So I don't know how that's answered on this over-under here. So that's a push, right? So he yeah, will get one push. more championship. And uh, with the way the NBA is right now, where super teams are rebuilt overnight in an offseason, uh, I don't think that this Lakers team will look the same next year. I think another big star is going to be added. I think Montrez Harrell and, and, and Schroeder and these guys are going to be out. I think they'll either be packaged or whatever to bring somebody else in, whether it is Steph Curry. Well, there is Clay Thompson. Who knows who it's going to be? Could be Dame Lillard. Watch me become a Dame Lillard fan at that point, by the way. Dame time every damn night in Los Angeles, baby. I'm a big fan of that idea. Uh, bottom line is, I think he has one more championship left in him, and I think he'll come up one short of Michael Jordan. But, man, had this Laker team been healthy, I would have said two. Uh, but this this seems like a desperation year because it, I think they're wasting one of his final dominant years uh, remaining in his career. But I'm going to say he'll get one more. I'm going to go with the under because I thought this would have been the season for him to do it. And, you know, I'm a big uh, believer in, you know, the whole line that injuries are a part of the game and that's just what happens in all sports and there's no doubt about it without Anthony Davis on the floor this even if Anthony Davis is not playing offensive basketball if he's in his fadeaway jumper mode and shooting threes mode and he's bricking out there at least at the very least Anthony Davis is still a rim protector and then you watched that game last night it was practice it was the varsity versus the JV it was layup city like they were getting down the lane and the wide open threes dunks like highlight dunks like you just don't see that so I'm expecting the Lakers to win on Thursday but ultimately lose in game seven but I don't see another championship for LeBron uh I just what they got going on in Brooklyn what they got going on with the Bucks. like I just don't see a lot of other moves out there for the Lakers to make I've been proven wrong before the Getting a Twitter spat, and we come back on the air, and I don't have time to finish it. And then they think that they win themselves before he's even gotten there. Like uh, Nick Saban is these, you know, might be viewed is he the second best Alabama coach of all time, or is he the best Alabama coach of all time? Mm. But it's up for debate. Like there is no like at, at Duke, it's Coach K, and that's it. Right. He put, I mean, he took them to that level. I mean, he's won more games in his 41 seasons as head coach at Duke than the program had won in the 75 years before that. All the tournament success, everything, like Duke basketball, the brand that it is today, that's because of Coach K. Roy Williams, the brand of North Carolina basketball, that wasn't, that's not because of Roy Williams. You know, I was more of Dean Smith's deal. And even before, you know what I mean? Uh, I will say about Roy Williams, he did save the program. I'm I mean, not, no, no, I'm not saying, these guys are great. Don't get me no, wrong. I'm just saying, like, they were headed in the wrong direction 
when Roy Williams showed up. Like they had elite recruiting classes like Rashad McCants, Sean May and everything like that. And they weren't winning anything. They weren't winning like they weren't even making a tournament. Like so I, who who was there? Uh, uh there was another former Tar Heel as their coach. Uh Doherty. Doherty was their head coach and he led that program into um a brick wall. And he was able to turn things around. So I guess why I give him a lot of credit for that, what he did at his alma mater. So Oh, no. And with and with that, that's why I've always said, though, some of these programs are going to be great programs. Like, just because a coach comes in and doesn't have success, it doesn't mean that that program's bad. It just means that that wasn't the right fit coaching-wise. But there are programs who have shown the ability to... For you to for multiple guys to come in and win no matter what. Right. North Carolina could be North Carolina no matter who the coach is. That's been proven. Same thing at Kansas. Same thing at Kentucky. What has not been proven yet is at Duke. This is where I stirred things up a few years ago where I said, I'm not going to say Duke's not a blue blood, but at the same time, Duke is Coach K to where North Carolina is North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas is Kansas. You know, Kentucky is Kentucky. Duke is Coach K. Uh, Duke had a little success before Coach K got there. I'm not going to sit there and say that they were, but no one thought, I mean, what, 40 years ago, no one thought of Duke basketball as Duke basketball. Mm-hmm. Now, when you hear Duke, you're like, if I said, hey, Duke's had coaches walking, they've had 20 head coaches in Duke's history. Not one other coach outside of Coach K, if I said, man, that coach is walking in to come watch your kid play, no one's going to sit up in their chair and say, man, holy crap, he's coming here. But Coach K, that's different. That's, you know, the Duke program's different because of him. But 457-9464, Kev, who we got? We got James on the line. James, welcome in, man. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. You've got a great topic here. Uh, here's my thought on Coach K. So you, you compare him to some of the greats, right? Wooden, uh, Bob Knight, Dean Smith, Adolph Rupp. The biggest challenge that, that he faced that those guys didn't is living in today's world and living in the one and dones and living with social media and, and how he, from an old school army guy, has been able to adapt and persevere and still be successful. And I agree with you. Uh, he could actually win a championship this year. We'll see. But uh, the adversity and the, the challenges that he's faced, those other guys just didn't have. And I think we got to give him a lot of respect for that. Uh, I think every one of those coaches have faced adversity at different times. Like That's the thing. That's why people always say comparing eras matters when we compare players. But comparing coaching, there's things that Coach K faced that... They didn't. Uh, the, some of those coaches didn't face back then, but some of those coaches faced things or ha- didn't have as many resources as what Coach K does now. If you think of the money involved <laughs> on the books and off the books, uh, you know. So th- there's you know cheating's always been involved in sports. I know people. I, I you know we joked about that earlier, but there's not one thing that Duke uh, that there's not one thing that Coach K is allegedly doing at Duke that the other coaches across college basketball aren't doing either. Not saying it's right or wrong. All I'm saying, but no, uh, you bring up a lot of good points. So, um, so not to divert, but talking about cheating, uh, what's your take on um, Sean Miller out in Arizona? Do you think he's guilty as charged, or do you think he's misunderstood? Oh, trust me, there's no such thing as being misunderstood. It's just, it's not about uh, if he did it. It's about uh, how much he did and how much was actually, you know, how much he was caught with. There, I mean, the reports that have come out, I don't even get how he lasted as the head coach as long as he did to begin with. I agree. Uh, the, I bo- agree. The bottom line is, is this, is that I think that the reason that the NCAA drags their feet on a lot of these investigations is because the NCAA knows damn well what's going on behind the scenes. They may not know all the dirty details. They may not know all the handlers, but they know damn well that they don't want to go investigating because there's a lot 
lot of handlers for one school that might be operating for multiple schools and not, not really sure. schools but players. Um, and there's a lot of weird shady stuff going on. The NCAA doesn't want to open up a can of worms. I'm not saying that they'll never punish these schools and that there are third-party investigations going on and at some point the NCAA is going to have to answer for these things. And maybe, Kev, you brought up a good point earlier. Is that what's going on? You know, does Coach K know that something's about to be, just the lid's about to be blown off uh, as far as that goes. But uh, All that stuff with Zion. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, more stuff came out about that. And Zion's like, I don't care. Right. <laughs> like, my fa- family don't care. But uh, no, I, I think that the NCAA drags their feet with this, man, just because of the fact that if they go down on one program, everyone's going to be chirping and saying, well, this program's doing the same thing. Well, they're doing the same thing. Well, these guys are doing the same thing. It's just a whole can of worms. I think that's why no big school ever has the hammer drop down on them. I, I totally get it, and that is an NCAA. NCAA that's why Arizona would be, real quick, that's why I always thought that Arizona would be the prime school to bring the hammer down on. It's not a blue blood. It's not a premier program. If Arizona is out of college basketball for the next 10 years, college basketball is not, they're not on the ropes, you know, with that. You If you really bring the hammer down on Duke basketball, that's a brand that you're going to tear down for a good five, six-plus-year period, that's not good big picture. So that's, you know, it's base-level stuff, and I think it's very simplistic thinking on my part. But honestly, think about If they wanted to bring the hammer down on Arizona, that's not a brand that's going to hurt college basketball in its absence. Not having Duke for a decade because of bringing the hammer down, that's kind of one of those cutting-off-your-nose-despite-your-face type of deals. No, no, I I agree. It's like uh, SMU and the death penalty. Like, that that was a massive thing, but it really hurt. But, but so I guess my question is all to you go to both uh, Justin and Kev. Do you think that Sean knew this? I'm sorry, did he know what was going on? Man, I have no idea, to be perfectly honest, man. You know, coaches want to have that, that plausible deniability. Like, you know, they're, they're not the ones directly handing kids cash if they are doing that, if there's something shady going on. They're not the ones actually calling up the prostitutes. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, the coaches aren't doing that. They got it's apps just, for that. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the, <laughs> but, but did he know? Did, did, Sean, did Sean know? What was, did Sean know? Was Sean aware of the money? Did he know this? I, I don't know. Look, here's the deal. They set this up. They know something goes down. They're not dumb to everything that could potentially be going on behind the scenes, but they have it set up perfect. How it's been described to me as, and someone that you know works with AAU teams and works with some of these prep teams that has explained kind of how some of this stuff goes down. These players and their families, they'll go visit with the program. They'll sit down with the head coach, and the head coach, they'll have a little spiel. They'll have their conversation, and they'll say, well, it was nice seeing you. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again. They shake hands with the player. Now, so-and-so from with the program is going to come and they're going to be with you for the rest of the night. They're going to hang out with you for the rest of the evening. And at that point, the second that that coach walks away, they are technically, technically, uh, that they're, they're out of that little realm of being considered a part of whatever happens next moving forward. Although it, if it happens under their umbrella, it's still under on them as we learned with Trestle right. and we learned with, you know, urban and everything else, but that's kind of how they do it. Like it wasn't, uh, who was, uh, at Louisville, uh, Patino Patino yeah. wasn't, picking up the players and taking them to strip clubs. He was going all by himself. Uh, oh, no. But he was, you know what I mean? Like, he he didn't wasn't physically the one taking the players there, right. but no, right, someone right. within the program the was. So, no, they're not doing it. Are they cognizant? That's I'll, what I want to know. Are they cognizant? I would say you should go watch the movie Blue Chips with Nick Nolte, Penny Hardaway, and Shaquille O'Neal. Like, that's how the coaches are. Like, they know if they really care to know. But since they don't care to know, they don't know. Put it this way: they don't okay. have they don't have the itinerary in their phones for what the player's doing that night with the handler of whoever is taking them out that night. Put it that way. So okay, I've not seen Blue Chips, but you recommend it. 
Absolutely. Blue chips. Nick <laughs> Nosey. Love you guys. Thank Penny you. Penny Hardaway. Shaquille O'Neal. Adios, man. And now Penny Hardaway's at Memphis. Dun, 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 dun. Yep, and Shaquille O'Neal, he's in Papa John's commercials. He's on Basketball Wives. He's uh, he's uh, he's all over the place. TNT. They didn't even do a Basketball Wives reunion show. Oh, oh. Jackie, baby. That's where it's at. <laughs> Gracious, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> we'll be, I don't even know what the hell the topic is. Man. We'll be at 457 We'll take more of your calls on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. Listen, stream, watch. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash right here on Dayton's NBA for 18 years, and he is one game away from finally mastering something that Michael Jordan mastered early in his career. Losing in the first round of the playoffs, so uh, keep that in mind. As uh, <laughs> what you love Michael Jordan so much, well, I, I think just, you I love him more than I do. No, I, I just know. I, I, for what? <laughs> to be fair, yes, I do love Michael Jordan. <laughs> Anyone who hates Michael Jordan is kind of weird. I'm just. Well, I don't want to get into the goat debate. We all know I won. <laughs> Unlike Dame Willard. Dame Willard. Fifty-five points. I mean, he's he's what you don't want your kid. You, who says, "Hey, man, who cares if you win or lose? Just score fifty-five points." No, I'm joking. It was no. It, and also, that was a hell of a. I made my joke earlier, but seriously, that was a hell of a game. Uh, but yeah, but four five seven nine four six for us the number to call in and join in on the conversation. Uh, but nonetheless, but yeah, the Lakers last night eighty one fifteen to eighty five. Um, but the the cards were stacked against the Lakers and LeBron last night. But look, I I. It wouldn't have shocked me had the Lakers lost, but it's not that they lost, it's how they lost. Uh, that That's the big thing. And, of course, I, I will say this. Look, uh, look, LeBron, 24, 24 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists. What was our over-under yesterday and all that? Like uh, We were way off on all of them. Yeah, we were. I, I think all night. I think we butchered all of them, didn't we? Like, I don't even remember what all our over-unders were. I'd have to pull that up. But uh, nonetheless, like I thought LeBron was going to go off. Um, like, I thought the Save first minutes. half... I thought the first half, I think like Morris hit a three. Like he was one for one from three, and it was he only played ten minutes. It was the first couple minutes of that game. Uh, but you know, LeBron twenty four points, seven assists, you know, five rebounds or whatever. Um, you know, nine to nineteen for the four. But he, you know, six to ten from the three point line. I think he hit four of those in the third quarter. I think LeBron, the like, I think LeBron had them pacing well in the third quarter. Every time they'd go on a run, but the problem they couldn't stop anybody. The Suns couldn't miss. The Suns were just on fire. I give the Suns credit last night, Kev, because they didn't take their foot off the gas. It was. Every time the Lakers, like LeBron, caught fire from three, like he was he was the only one doing anything last night in that third quarter. And every time the Lakers started to go on a little mini run, they had cut it to within twenty six. And I'm like, man, you get the, you cut that to within, in the NBA anything. Yep. 20 points is not a big deficit. 30 is one of those where it seems like the game's out of hand. But I was like, man, it, when they got it to 26, I'm like, if they can get that to within 22 or 20 heading into the fourth quarter, it's a different ballgame. But every time they would get cut it to within at least 26, the Suns would counter with a three. Um, the Lakers would get a layup in transition. Suns would come down. They'd get an and one. It was like, give credit to the to the Suns because at no point they had a 30 point lead. They didn't stop playing once. They didn't allow the Lakers to get back into it. Um, I know a lot of talk today has been on the like you put 10 points up in the quarter. We're talking about teams averaging 100. <laughs> Every team in the NBA this year averaged over 100 points. That's never been done. Every team in the NBA, actually, no, that's not true. That's happened the last two years. I just, last year, I kind of threw out. Every team in the NBA is averaging over 100 points a game, and the Lakers put 10 points up in the second quarter yesterday. Unfreaking believable But uh, nonetheless, that's a game you want to forget about. But I said this earlier. There's something going on. Like, when a star player goes down, like the Suns, when Chris Paul went out in that game two or whatever, other guys stepped up, or game one, other players stepped up and started making big play after big mm-hmm. play after big play. It's not like, oh, Chris Paul's out, so we have no chance. 
That's what it felt like last night. Oh, Anthony Davis is out. Screw it. We don't. There was no effort. There was no care in the world. Those guys, and this isn't the same championship roster as last year. It's not like these guys don't have fight in them. I mean, that's why Montrez Harrell left L.A. for L.A. Right. <laughs> that's why Dennis Schroeder went. You know, and I mean, it was through a you know whatever. But that, that to me last night was very strange. And it's like you know LeBron had that little spurt in the third quarter, but that was it. I mean. 24 points for him, 15 from Kuzma, but that was a silent 15, and a good chunk of those came late. Uh, you know, Horton Tucker had 11, but, I mean, outside of that, there was no, none, zero, zilch, not a How Schroeder has zero points. I mean, plus minus was minus 17. I know that's not a big thing to you, but when you score zero points and your plus minus is minus 17, <laughs> get off the floor, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I think the zeros across the board speak for themselves. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was flipping between both games and everything like that, and once I just saw the score just getting out of hand in the second quarter, my attention just completely went to the more interesting game. And, you know, I had I would check in, like, when uh, the Denver and Portland game went to halftime and everything like that. And I just, you know, in that third quarter that you're talking about where LeBron got hot, you know, they were really just trading baskets. And when you're down 30 points, you can't trade baskets. You have to get some type of stops. And I talked about this before. It looked like the varsity versus the JV because the layup line was wide open. Like it was literally things that you're told in middle school basketball, pass and cut, and you'll be open for a layup. Pass and, and that's stand around. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened with with Phoenix. They passed the ball, somebody cut to the rim, and it was a dunk. I was like, what is going on out here? And so I can't sit here and say I watched that entire game. I watched the first half or most of the first, first half. But like you said, that second quarter when they only scored 10 points, it looked like, you know, one of those situations where, um, let's be real, like LeBron paces himself and, you know, tries to get others involved. So w- when you're an opponent thinking about, the corner shooters, it opens up the driving lanes for me even more later in the game and everything like that. He tried to do that. Uh, it didn't work. And to Phoenix credit, their shot blocker wasn't in there. So they said, we're not going to shoot threes unless you're Devin Booker. We're going to drive to the rim because apparently Drummond don't block shots anymore. <laughs> like So they were just taking it straight to him and just getting and ones. It, was just, it got ugly by halftime, and I don't know anything that happened in that, that fourth quarter. Like, I know that they were talking about LeBron left the bench with five minutes to go and all that type of stuff. I heard them talking about that this morning on uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin and everything like that. Really didn't have a big problem with it. I mean, he's banged up that ankle, ain't 100%. If he said he went back to go get some treatment, he went to go get, back, get some treatment. I had no problem with that at all. Oh, yeah. It, nonetheless, and so the Lakers have... Game what? So they're down 3-2. So game six coming up. It's at L.A. Uh, Anthony Davis is out for the series. I mean, and if, they get to, if they get to a game seven, he might. I mean, but you pulled your groin. A that's, duct tape, that's man. That's not a, you know, put some ice down there and, uh, you know, just stay off your uh, feet for a couple of days. I mean, that's, they're, they're in trouble. But the problem yeah. is, is they, they're not, the Suns are not 30 points. Even without Anthony Davis, the Suns are not 30 points better than that Lakers team. And they were last night. That wasn't because of a talent gap. That was because of a who gives a crap. And the Suns gave a lot of care. They had a lot. That made no sense. They cared a lot. To, uh, you know what the hell I'm trying to say. They cared a lot. The Lakers did it. But you knew where the hell I was going with that. But uh, I, I, I. So yeah, it got ugly. It got real ugly. And you know, you talk about AD and that uh, growing pull and everything like that. You got to think about it. I'm, I'm not sure which leg it is, but it's the same leg. It's the the Achilles on that leg. It's the hamstring on he has that leg. He has multiple leg injuries. And yeah. the knee on the same leg. 
It's all on one leg. It's all compensation for the Achilles injury. I was just going to so. say that sometimes when you're playing hurt, you you know you start you stand differently, you yeah. run differently, you start use you start putting more stress on other muscles and other parts of your leg or body that you don't even realize that you're doing, and eventually that makes those you know parts of your body a little bit more uh, vulnerable to an injury, and that's ultimately what's happened. You know, Colin Cowherd brought up a good point today that you know. They brought in Anthony Davis knowing he was injury-prone last year. He was not injury-prone, but, you know, he also benefited from the fact that you had a four-month All-Star break. Um, and had they not had that four-month All-Star break, you know, COVID break, then uh, maybe they don't win a championship last year. So that's another reason the Lakers dominated is because when your star player like that gets a four, gets a four-month, which is longer than a regular NBA offseason, right. that's why I wasn't big on the, oh, spare me, the whole, oh, man, we got to turn right back around and go into this. You had four months between, you know, it's not like you played a full 82-game season and then, boom, one month off and off to the next one. But anyways, that's besides the point. Other news just came out real quick. Uh, Jeff Goodman, uh, Goodman Hoops on Twitter, says Duke assistant John Shire mm, has on the championship has, Yeah, he's been approved as the next head coach of the Duke Blue Devils. There w- what are you guys doing? Don't you realize in June, sports radio and media, they need the whole two weeks of who could be the next head coach? <laughs> we were supposed to have a Brad Stevens conversation. We were supposed to – they ruined it. We were supposed to have Jerry Stack, not Jerry Stack, but we were supposed to have, like, all these former players, obviously Duke players, not – but what the hell? <laughs> they ruined it for us. John, no, but, uh, of course, this has led to, uh, you know, Stephen – or no, that, that was the uh, Boston Celtics thing with Danny Ainge and uh, Brad Stevens. Very Two very strange situations today. Two big prominent names resign – and within seconds, announce who the pred- who who's going to replace them. That's strange. There's no coaching search for this. I have always thought Brad Stevens was going to be the next head coach at Duke. Uh, I've always thought that. And, uh, you know, this is another reason, too, what happened with the Celtics today. When Brad Stevens was being loyal to the Celtics earlier in the year, I'm like, don't do that. Why? I could tell where the Celtics season was going. I'm like, they're not. he's not going to be good enough to keep that job, or if he keeps it, he's going to be fired either this offseason or next. Technically, he wasn't fired. He was given a promotion. I mean, uh, that's insane to me. Uh, but good for him. Way to play that game. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was strange. Play the game uh, like somebody else we know. But had he turned down the Indiana job and then got fired, I was like, that's why I thought he should have taken the Indiana job. And good for Mike Woodson for taking that job and not doing the whole, I'm going to focus on the playoffs and focus on my... No, he got out. He's like, no, I'm taking that job, and good for him. And that was a good hire for Indiana. Brad Stevens clearly made a ton of sense at Indiana. I thought he made sense at Duke. But you're starting to see teams be very loyal to – they like to keep internal hires. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of – that's the trend right now in college basketball – getting former players to come, and not just former players, but former greats. Uh, and that, and I don't think a Shire is a former great, though, but he's on the staff. And I think that, you know, I, do you like this? I don't know if I like Coach K saying, hey, I'm out, and you will hire my guy, because this tweet goes on to say there was a mid-afternoon meeting just to rubber stamp Coach K's selection. It was a part, <laughs> it was a part of the agreement uh, to, you know, to coach one more season, because I guess Coach K wanted to just do what Roy Williams did. And that they're like, well, we don't have anyone like Roy Williams. They've had that. They've had a guy in in the right. position. They've got, had a guy just kind of waiting there. Hoover Davis, Duke, yeah. uh, and former coach. You know, and all that. I forgot he was at ESPN. You know, yep. when we talked about him, I'm like, why does he look familiar? That name's familiar. He, he used to be, be at ESPN. Yeah, yeah, he was on that. But uh, nonetheless. I'm not sure if I like this. Coaches get it. I guess Urban Meyer did it with Ryan Day, but like a Nick Saban. I mean, there was talks of that Sarkeesian being the guy for him when he, you know, steps away. I don't know if I like that. You want to retire, fine, but you don't get to be the athletic director or the NFL slash, you know, <laughs> general manager on your right. way out the door. But I guess. Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show what we were talking about in hour one about college coaches. When you are that type of level college coach, 
they fire the AD, not the other way around. Like, it's I mean, the coach's program. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't want to be crazy talking about everything that went on with Joe Paul and Penn State, but, like, look at some of those allegations that he skated away from because he's Joe Paul and he's brought in so much money for the university, his name on the library and everything like that. Like, he's running the show. And there's very few programs out there that the AD actually has the power. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it truly is the big-time football coach, or if you're a basketball program, it is the big-time basketball coach. How much power does Gene Smith have? I think Gene Smith has... He's the president. The president chased both coaches out. and Two different presidents, right, but I'm just right. saying, like... But, I mean, say what you want about Ohio State. I will say there is a little credibility there oh, yeah, to the, the point the, to where there's been dirty situa- there's dirty situations at every program. But it wasn't Gene Smith cleaning it all up. I mean, Gene Smith, I kind of like that it wasn't him making the decision. That, I mean, the pressure was put on him to, I guess, sign off on the decisions. Right. But Trestle's gone because of the president. And same thing with with Urban, although there was the, the – I mean, there's a reason that, of course, Drake retired. Uh, right. You know, wink, wink, right? Like he retired right after that Urban Meyer situation because, of course, his approval rating on that campus, you know, plummeted <laughs> after that for obvious reasons. So very interested how each school is different uh, in, in when it comes to that. Yeah, I'm – you know, you know, the team that I follow in college basketball, Syracuse, you know, we talk about, oh, man, Coach K is old. Well, guess who's older than him? Jim Beheim's older than him. You know what I mean? So it's always been a, a topic of conversation in the, you know, chat rooms and on the boards about Syracuse basketball. Killing you on the boards. Who's going to be the next head coach? And everything that I read about Syracuse, they have no idea who's going to be the next head coach of Syracuse basketball. And a lot of people don't even like the way the program is heading right now. Like, look, man, yeah, we make it to the – tournament we make our little run in in the sweet 16 but like what happened to our runs to the elite eight and final four and everything like that like and why why is this happening why is that happening and from just from my my point of view i think the uh assistant coaches really just don't have that oomph to get those primetime players anymore i mean you look at the lead recruiter that got jerry mcnamara hakeem warwick and Carmelo, he's the GM for the Detroit Pistons now. You know what I'm saying? You look at the guy that got Dion Waiters and Scoop uh, Scoop Jardine. He's the head coach at Washington right now. So you got to have recruiters on your staff as well. And that's what makes what Jawan Howard doing up in Michigan so impressive because he has obviously Phil Martelli. You know, a former uh, coach in the a He has recruiters on his staff. He has former players on his staff. And he has young people on his staff that go to these AAU tournaments. So I think that the older coaches need to take a, a look and see what Penny Hardaway is doing, what Jawan Howard it's is doing. a little doing stuffy. To, to add in some youth because I think they get so locked into the way that they do things that that walls them off from the ability to grow. You know what I'm saying? Just because you're 80-some years old, if you're still going to be coaching and working, you still should be growing. You shouldn't just be closing your uh, eyes to the facts like, look, man, things are changing. The recruiting portal is real. Uh, you're going to have to show up at these AAU tournaments if you want to get these big-time uh, players to come to your school. You can't just say, like, hope that your son's going to be a knockdown shooter and he comes to your school. I mean, I was reading a story about Buddy Beheim that – Coach wasn't even recruiting his own son until uh, Roy Williams offered him a scholarship. 
So yeah. I imagine that. I don't know how true that is. Let me put that out there. But, you know, it's just like, hey, if you want to offer him a scholarship, I am. Oh, well, let me go ahead and get him here. And, th- and just me being a fan, I couldn't imagine how terrible we would have been last season without him. The dude was on fire last year. So I know this ain't Syracuse, New York. This is Dayton, Ohio. So let me shut up. Yeah, and and again, when you, and to to that point, and we'll get to the phone, and just we'll get to the call in just a second. But if you, here's the top, here's the rec, uh, recruiting rankings. We talk a lot of college football recruiting rankings. I'm just to to fit your point. Michigan has the number one recruiting class in 2021 for this coming up season. Gonzaga number two. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Tennessee number three. Uh, Duke is at four, but yeah, Florida State at five. You know, Kentucky's at six. Creighton's at seven, and Creighton. Probably would have been a lot higher, but they <laughs> lost. You know, they you know, Ty Ty Washington, of course, left. But uh, you, you know, the the plantation comments, you know, really didn't uh, do him a lot of favors there, did it? But Kansas at eight, Alabama nine, and, and Michigan State at at ten. Uh, UD dropped back a bit. They're at where the hell did they go? They're at number twenty two. So they have the number twenty two recruiting class for this coming up year. Of course, uh, I did see Dave Jablonski covers the Flyers for uh, Dayton Daily News. All the commits for the twenty one class were on campus, uh, you know, this week. So that's pretty Welcome cool. Is they to the nine you know, So that's pretty cool. Uh, real quick, kill that music. Let's get to the. Phone. I want to get to to Mikey. Mikey's been patient. Mikey, how are you, sir? Mikey. Mikey, call back. We'll get you back to the front of the line. We'll get to the rest of the calls on the other side. It's the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash, presented by Orion Sports Medicine. Don't go anywhere. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN. Weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. You can catch it live right here on 1410 Wing AM, or you can stream the show at wingam.com. But now we have another way that you can take in the show. You can now watch the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash live on ESPN Dayton's Facebook page. Listen, stream, watch. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash, back with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. We are Dayton's home of the Cincinnati Reds. And, uh, well, this is about the time that we thought we were going to start the show today. And uh, because the Reds were supposed to play at 1230, that obviously got rained out. Just look at your window and you'll have the reason why uh, right there. But the Reds, remember what I told you about? I don't care about the standings. I care about, well, I don't care about the win-loss record for sale. All I care care about is how many games back you are. The Reds are a season war six and a half games back. Of the Cubs at the top of the NL Central as we currently sit here right now. Another football score yesterday. 24-29. And I'm getting a little fed up with the, like, it has to be a Cincinnati thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, have we, and I'm not saying it's always right to blame the coach or blame the manager in a sport, but sometimes, like, it's fitting. I have no sympathy for David Bell during this stretch because I keep hearing people say, well, front office wouldn't spend money on a shortstop. If you think that the Reds are a shortstop away from closing the gap of being of the minus 30 run differential, you have another thing coming. It's the pitching. You want to talk about well, the lack of pitching. There's still enough pitchers in that pen that the famous Derek Johnson should be able to do something with, right? Like, we always, when things go well, like the Reds fans are the opposite. Cincinnati fans in general, Kev, are the opposite of what stereotypes of most fans are. Where, you know, when things go bad, they blame the coach. When things go well, you blame, you know, you give credit to the players. Uh, but when 
things go bad, the fans, like, it's never David Bell's fault for anything. And I'm not saying, like, by the way, firing David Bell doesn't make this team better. Uh, but he is ultimately responsible. I, I'm getting tired of people yelling at me for, oh, let me guess, David Bell's fault. Well, yeah, based on the history of, well, sports. I mean, it, that, that's just the nature of every sport. It's the history of, of all time. I mean, it is that has always been the case. As a manager, as a coach, you are ultimately responsible for it. Yes, you could say, you know, you could sit there and say, well, ownership didn't give me this. Today. Maximize what you have. And that's my other problem is, is if the bullpen is so bad, Kev, why are we still pulling our starters four or five innings into a game? Mm-hmm. If that's your weakness, like this was my, okay, so to make a Bengals comparison here. Last year, last year, the Bengals offensive line, not very good obviously. And I said, well, yes, you may not be able to all of a sudden increase the talent level of the offensive line, but if you're Zach Taylor, you can manage the game differently and still protect Joe Burrow and maybe not drop him back as many times. There was a stretch of three straight weeks, all of which he threw for over 300 yards. He got sacked 10 times in that stretch, by the way, um, where he was dropping back 40 plus times a game. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you have a you have one of the worst offensive lines in football, but you keep dropping him back forty times. So my big thing was is you may not be able to increase the talent of your offensive line, but you could still do little things in managing the play calling, of which how much you set him up to get hit, and that's kind of where I'm at with David Bell. I don't want to hear about your bad bullpen. Stop yanking your starters after five innings. Then stop giving them four innings to be responsible for each night. You know what I'm saying? Like that, That's the problem that I have. Your starters are your best pitchers. Now, it didn't help. Sunday Gray last night was not very good. And we're in, you know, Luis Castillo has not been very good. Um, but then again, Sonny Gray's a very, very good pitcher. Luis Castillo was an up-and-coming pitcher. All right, Tyler Malley was supposed to be getting better. Where's all this Derek Johnson magic that I've been that we've all been talking about? Because I'm just hearing a lot of excuses. Well, you know, Luis Castillo, he's not having the year we thought. Okay, well, that sounds like it's on the pitching coach then. Oh, well, Sonny Gray, you know, he's had his moments, but he hasn't been able to make it out of the fifth inning. Well, that sounds like it's on the pitching coach then. Oh, well, you know, Tyler Malley, he had shown glimpses, but, you know, he hasn't really been able to crack the ball. That sounds like it's on the pitching coach then. Or it's on the manager. Yes, players are responsible for their production, but in the history of, I don't know, sports, it's always been on the shoulders of the manager or the coach for if a player is not playing well. Like, for instance, Zion Williams, uh, LeBron James came into the league. Cavs, LeBron was playing really well. Paul Silas was the head coach. Actually, I was a big fan of his. I, 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 he was one of my favorite coaches. I don't think he's an all-time great, but he was still one of my favorite coaches in the league. I just thought he had a cool like aura to him on the sideline. You know what I mean? I'm a big, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big coach fan. Like I think that the... The, I think that the the persona of your coach adds just adds to the persona of your team, and I think that that you know is a that's a big deal. So I was a huge Pat Riley fan and a Phil Jackson fan. They were just badasses, you know. I love you know you look at the Spurs and Popovich, like those guys are just badasses. Like you just look at Doc Rivers, same thing. You just you have him as your coach. The camera pans over, you just feel like you got something. And then you know there's the Lakers coach right now that I'm just like, it just doesn't do it for me. But anyways, I'm all over the place. What was I even trying to say? Point, uh, um, Paul Silas got fired uh, because LeBron and the Cavs weren't winning games. And it really wasn't Paul Silas's fault. It's because you had Ricky Davis and Darius Miles as the second and third best players on the team. And But yeah, I was going to say, I love Darius Miles and I love Ricky Davis. Love his podcast. With, uh, he has with a podcast? Rick's, yeah. 
Yeah, Knuckleheads podcast with him and Quentin Richardson. Uh, I Thumbs did not up. know that. I have to. Is uh, okay. I'll have to check that out. That's pretty. Yeah, but I, I thought he was great. Uh, well, not great, but I thought he was entertaining. And then of course Ricky Davis. My all-time favorite Ricky Davis memory is he was a rebound away from the triple double, and he throws it off the rim to get the rebound, and everyone lost their mind. I'm like, they literally lost almost every game that year. You couldn't have given him that one little triple double moment. Stern took it away. Oh, yeah, he did take it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, the point is, I just don't understand why Cincinnati fans, and it's a Cincinnati. Thing it's not like Bengals fan thing it's 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 a it's a Cincinnati fan base thing in general for the Reds and the Bengals where they constantly defend their coach no matter how bad they are David Bell is not good and Zach Taylor is definitely not good so I just don't get it man like I'm not really calling for David Bell's head but at least a little accountability would be nice like we need to stop with the excuses of well they didn't give him this they didn't give him that. In the history of Reds baseball since the Big Red Machine and the 90s World Series team, the owners haven't given any manager anything uh, as far as that goes. Except he does have Castellanos. He does have Moustakis. He does have Jesse Winker. He does have these stars on this team that you're not maximizing, and that's the problem that I have. So my question for you and every baseball lover out there, because I'm not a big baseball aficionado, since the way baseball is played with analytics and they got their little card and they do what's on the card they do what's by the numbers what is the manager supposed to do like what is he actually doing because you know in football coaches are listening on their headset for play calls and everything like that uh basketball coaches are calling plays they're making substitutions and everything like that what is a manager's job if they're only looking at a card that tells them what to do and well, that's not a knock on any coach out there, David Bell included. I just don't know. I'm sincerely asking that question. Well, Schlemmer and I have had this conversation before regarding this very same thing because technically I'm saying David Bell is doing a horrible job and he's not doing a good job. Or is he? Because he is doing what his bosses tell him to. Like if our bosses told us a certain way to do a radio show and we know that that's not the right way to do a radio show and we do what they tell us to do and we fail doing it their way, we, you know, and our bosses get mad. Well, your numbers aren't good, and we say, well, we're doing it your way. If you let us do it our way, the numbers will be good. Luckily, we get to do it our way, and the numbers are good. Uh, but I remember there was a certain point in my radio career. I was told you can't do it this way. You have to do it that way. You know, you can't be too opinionated. You can't be opinionated on a sports talk radio show. You, what's the hell's the point of having a radio show if I'm just going to regurgitate, you know, opinions of other people? Right. Uh, so if I would have done it the way I was told, it wouldn't have worked. But I could have, and by the way, that's not necessarily true. I did do it the way I was told at the beginning, and it did not work. That's why uh, we went and we got a very opinionated Mark Schlemmer, because we said, hey, I, I want to mix it up a bit. I don't want to be a dry, boring, dull station where we just regurgitate the same talking points that every other host in the area does and, and, and all that stuff. Like, I wanted to have a little edge on the show. Like, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of just telling people what they want to hear. If you're going to pay a host and the host is going to host a show, then give your opinions. Right. And if, if your boss wants you to give their opinions, opinions then give them the mic that's my philosophy on that it's not going to go well with any future bosses if that's the case <laughs> but if my boss wants to tell me what opinions i can and can't have which we have had that there was a partnership we had with a particular outlet uh, that wanted to tell me what opinion i could have and what opinion i could not have and he threatened to end me and all this stuff and i said i refuse to be told what opinion i can have i'm going to have my opinion what a uh, glorious day that, that was. was a great day it was a great day that felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders that day but you're not going to tell me what opinion i can and cannot 
have because that's just not going to work. Now, it's not like I'm spewing like some kind of, you, you know, cult information. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, if, if, unless the I hate the Bengals is a cult. I mean, I, maybe it very well might be. So my point is, is I, I got way off track a little bit, but it all ties back in. David Bell is being told to use analytics. The front office is investing in analytics. So David Bell would be wasting the front office's resources, time, and money if he refused to use their analytics and go with his gut. You see what I mean? So right. I could maybe, maybe skew it and say, okay, maybe David Bell's not doing anything wrong. He's just being a yes The biggest thing is he's being a yes man. He's following what is being told from the front office. You have to, every bit of information we give you with these advanced analytics, you got to use it, even if sometimes they don't make sense and even if you're losing. Because now David Bell can go to the front office and say, you can't fire me. In the job description, you told me I had to do this, 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 and this. I had to use this. I had to make the lineup based on this. We had to get pictures based on this information, based on this spin rate, based on whatever model that they're using. So if they're losing with the players that they approved through their analytics, how is David Bell fa- failing? I'm literally uh, flipping my argument in mid-conversation here, but that's a good point, Kev, is like, is he is he doing something wrong? It's a results-based business. Win-losses are all that matters. But at the same time, if you're doing what your bosses tell you to do, are you doing something wrong If even if the results aren't there? It's like I said to recap. When I first started, I was told I had to do the show a certain way, and I said it's not going to work that way. Like it hasn't that that type of show has not worked in the past. It's not going to work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have a personality. You have to have an opinion. You have to bring something. Like that's why me and Schlummer work so well because him and I both are two of the most opinionated people you'll ever meet to the point to where we're obnoxious as hell half the time, <laughs> and we're hard to handle sometimes. We get that, but it works. So with that being said. It's kind of the same thing. It's not going to work if you do it, though. Well, you're going to do it my way, or you're going to be like, oh, luckily my bosses gave me the freedom to do it my way, and it's worked. David Bell has not had the freedom to do it his way. He has continued to do their way, and their way is not working. So I can't tell who's responsible for this. Ownership, David Bell, a conglomerate of everything. There we go. That is the million-dollar question, man. That is the million-dollar question. I mean, look, Francona... Right. If the Indians told him you have to do it this way, I mean, I'm look, I'm not saying that you don't take direction or anything like that. But sometimes you just know. Like, I'm not very confident in my ability to do a lot of things. I'm very confident in my ability to do this show. So that's why if you tell me I need to do it a certain way, I'm going to be respectful and say, okay, if I have to do it that way, fine. But hear me out. Here's why I don't think that's a good idea. I don't know if David Bell's that kind of guy. I think Francona would say, no, 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 I need to use a little bit of my my feel of the game. There's a reason that the Indians are still winning ball games when they have no business winning ball games. When they are, I mean, Trevor Bauer makes more is making more this season than the entire payroll of your organization, and they're still winning ball games. Yeah, we're only one and a half back of the White Sox for that. That's uh, what I'm saying. And like the Reds spent 160 million dollars in the offseason the last two years, and they are six and a half back in a declining division. So that, that's where I'm at with that. All right, we'll step away for a few minutes. Hour three uh, coming up, and uh, so Major League or so ESPN. I'm sorry, put out a list of the biggest free agent and offseason moves for every NFL team, or not for every NFL team. They they rank the top ten offseason moves in the NFL, not by team, but the top ten as far as you know the biggest splashes in the offseason. Are the Browns and Bengals in there? We'll find out on the other side. That's how we'll start things off in hour number three. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, presented by Orion Sports Medicine. I'm probably okay to have one more drink before I drive home. 
daughter and I went for a walk together. Well, and it's going to be her birthday next week, so I've been spending time today making arrangements to make that extra special. I called my wife on the phone, and I told her, Sue, I love you, and I meant it. I flirted with my husband when we first got married. I have carried my wife's purse. What I have done for my marriage today is give my wife a break, take the kids out, have a good time so she can just relax. Hmm. I know I didn't fight. <laughs> what have I done for my marriage today? Wow. I don't know. I cooked my husband's favorite breakfast. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. And what have I done? I'm actually giving my wife the rest of the day off from me. She's going to visit with her girlfriend. What have you done for your marriage today? Just hurry up and get sports betting legal here in Ohio. I got a question for you. Speaking of that, do you think there'll ever be live sport uh, sports betting at events like, say, you like at a Reds game or whatever, and you could only bet on things that are happening at that game? Well, there's going to be a ticket. You're going to be able to bet like, happy at night. If you want to go to bed as a very happy individual at night. Always, always, always bet against your team. I will bet against the Browns in every seventeen in every game, all seventeen weeks of the regular season, because one of two things is going to happen, and both are a pretty good payout for me. The first one is I bet on the Browns to lose, and you got to ask yourself how much is a Browns victory worth to you. Mm-hmm. So for me, I will always bet against the Browns. I will always bet against my team, and I highly suggest for you listening out there, you always bet against your team. Because if you bet against your team and your team loses, you go to bed at night with more money than you started the day with. Fair. And if your team wins and you lose the money, you still go to bed happy at night because your team won. I feel like Bengals fans are going to be a lot more, you know, they're going to win a lot more money this year than me. <laughs> That's the one good thing about y'all being a last place team again. But right, isn't that a good philosophy? I think not it's a bad. great philosophy. Not bad, not you bad. always bet against your team because that way it like I don't know about you, like when Ohio State lost that championship game, that pit in my stomach, I hate that. I hate that. When my team loses, it's the worst. You know, when Wright State lost that gigantic lead with six minutes to go, my stomach I, I, I was ticked. Okay? That there's nothing worse than that. Like, you know, Flyers fans, we have to go back to the you know, last season was kind of a dud. Let's go back to the year before the Maui invitation you know, losing to Kansas. It's like you, that 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 sucked. You know, you felt pretty good because you just watched your team match up with the number of one team in the country and it took overtime to get to but the loss hurt. But imagine if you would have bet on Kansas to win. Sure it sucks your team lost, but you came away with money. All right. Now, if you're betting on your team to, you know, to lose and your team wins, who cares? Your team just won. It's a win-win. I'm telling you, it is the greatest sports betting philosophy in the history of the world. It's Kenner's philosophy. Always bet against your team. You will always go to bed happy. Either your team wins, sure you're out money, but I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's why you got to ask yourself, how much is a team? How much is your team winning worth to you? I got to figure. I mean, what a hundred bucks. So I'm always going to bet 100 bucks against the Browns every week throughout the season. And that I'm either going to end the night or the week with more money than I started with. Or I go to sleep waiting to wake up the next day to run my mouth to you and to all the Bengals <laughs> fans about how my Brownies came away with the win. And if they lose, and Bengals fans are chirping, I'm like, I'm sorry. Poor people. What's that damn little meme? What's that give? Poor people around. Hide your money. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's
that's that's my philosophy. I think it's a great one. But that's not a bad philosophy. That's one of the reasons like I couldn't get into uh, fantasy football like that. I still play or whatever, but I have a hard time rooting against my team. Like that's why like most of my fantasy football teams have a ton of Steelers players on them because I I can't be watching uh, the San Diego Chargers play and. You know, Mike Williams out right there scoring 10 touchdowns on my Pittsburgh Steelers. My fantasy team's winning, but my real team is losing. I, I just, uh, it burns me up inside. All right, four five seven nine four six four. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash presented by Orion uh, Sports Medicine. But, yes, that's my uh, sports betting advice for anyone out there. When that time comes, always bet against your team, and you will go to bed happy every single night because either you're going to win money or... You might lose your money, but at least your team wins. <laughs> oh, the only the only thing you got to decide is how much uh, money is a team victory. You know, how much is my team winning worth yeah. to me? Because there you go. All right, so uh, I found this interesting. Uh, before we get to that conversation about the the grading of the off season moves for the NFL, uh, the other interesting news that happened today. How about Brad Stevens, Kev? The big thing is who's going to replace Brad Stevens in Boston. A couple points on this. I know he just took the Sixers job, and depending on how the Sixers run ends, I go after Doc Rivers again. Mm. I would love to see Doc Rivers back in Boston. I would love to see Doc Rivers back. I know he has a good, nice little gig in Philly. He still doesn't look right in Philly. I don't know why. You ever see a coach take a job like that still don't look right? Like Urban in Jacksonville still just looks very odd. I know you're not a wrestling fan, but shout out to AEW, by the way. Uh, Tony Khan, the owner of AEW or whatever, also the owner of the Jaguars or whatever, part of the family that owns it. They had Urban Meyer. They had a little pay-per-view oh, over the weekend. Okay, and yeah. uh, I never thought I would see a scene where Urban Meyer hands Chris Jericho a laptop to use as a weapon in the middle of a match in their office. And Urban Meyer even said, holy bleep. It was the <laughs> coolest scene. It was, like, very strange to me to see Urban Meyer and Chris Jericho in the same video or in the same scene. And Urban Meyer sitting there watching Jericho beat down his opponent. And he hands him a laptop and he hits him. Then you have Charlie Strong in the background. Uh, Jericho's like, throw me that football. So Charlie Strong throws him the football and then he uses the football as a weapon. Um, absolutely hilarious stuff. I love that they're kind of tying that in a little bit, but nonetheless. But Urban Meyer in Jacksonville still is very strange to me. It's going to be even weirder watching him with the headset on on the sideline. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> You're unbelievable. You know what? I, I'm cool with, uh, you know, what Boston is doing, moving Brad Stevenson to the front office and everything like that. But I am a fan of new blood in the NBA. Like, I don't want to see a bunch of recycled dudes just getting rehired over and over and over again because we've seen that new coaches can bring some type of new energy and win championships. Like first-year head coaches with their teams have won, let me think, Ty Lu, Steve Kerr, Nick Nurse. Who else? That's three. Who just won the championship last year? Uh, it was the, the Lakers oh, uh, with uh, Vogel. Vogel. So that's like four straight years where a first-year head coach has won a championship. Well, Vogel's been around a while. But I'm just saying, like, with that team. You know what I'm saying? Like, Frank Vogel isn't, like, you know, one of those recycled <coughs> dudes. But, like, nobody heard of Nick Nurse before he was hired with the Raptors. And no one ain't like going to hear about him again because <laughs> they ain't winning again. But I'm just saying, like, I'm a fan of new blood. Like, I just think, like, there's so many guys out there that can coach the game of basketball. Why not give somebody that's a chance instead of just hiring like uh, somebody that's on your bench already like so if you hire somebody who's on your staff already are they truly hearing a new message 
because like Steve Nash with the Nets right now. Yeah. I mean, never even he had zero coaching experience. No, no, no. What I'm saying, like, okay, okay, take this for instance. So the Clippers, they uh, parted ways with Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers goes to Philadelphia. They promote Lou, Tyron Lou. So Lou was on his staff not only with the Clippers but with the Celtics as well. So like, I'm sure Ty Lue has a different message somewhere along the lines, but like. How different is the message? Because I mean, that's his mentor. You know what I mean? So, like, I just, I just want to see some new blood because I think that's a situation that you know, what I'm saying we run into where you just get recycled coaches. Like the NFL used to do that all the time. They, Jeff Fisher was like the most recycled coach in America, but now you're getting tons of new blood in the NFL. Granted, a lot of them came from Sean McVay <laughs> for whatever reason but still it's other guys getting a shot so I don't have a problem with young people or not even just young people new coaches getting a shot so I, that's what I would want I would want like a guy like uh, Adrian Griffin you know he's Nick Nurse's lead assistant or just 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 try a little do interviews just don't go for the guy that they feel most comfortable with you know spread your search out a little bit even try some guys overseas and everything like that because well last time the Cavs tried that David went to the finals. David Blatt they went to the finals <laughs> yes LeBron coach LeBron took him to the finals just like coach LeBron took Ty Lue to the finals coach LeBron took uh, uh, what's his name to the final. I mean what that, unbelievable uh, but four five seven nine four six four. Uh, oh by the way Ron chimes in he says Justin that's stupid how can I bet against my team um, actually you should bet against your team because your team will always be favored to win so I mean, he's a Bucks fan, so you know what I mean. Like, and the Browns were favored to win. A, I think they were the favorites, and I think I'd say ninety percent of their games last year. So if I pick against the Browns, I'm going to make good money if they lose. Just depends how you position the bet. So who we got, Kev? We got Jay. Jay, how are you, sir? Hey, uh, Justin, what are you going to do when you bet against the Browns and they get their favorite, their uh, a dog by seven, and they lose by five, and you lose the game and the bet? Dun, 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 dun. Uh, I'm, I'm boring with my bet. Just simple win-loss, man. Just simple win-loss. <laughs> but you win more money oh, if you go yeah. with the spread. Yeah. Actually, Tell I'm one that. of those. By the way, I never... I, I go beyond just picking the spread. I like to do those like they're going to win between, like when uh, Ohio State, I, I got a nice little payout on that Ohio State-Indiana game last year. Ohio State won, but I said Ohio State's only going to win like one possession or whatever. And that was a nice little, that had a good payout if I was actually betting on that, you know. For entertainment yeah. purposes only. Yeah, yeah. Entertainment, yeah. entertainment purposes only. You know they know where you work, right? Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Look at my bank statement. Well, <laughs> there you go. But no, hey, Jeff, way, what's up? What are, you, what are you doing listening to Salve about college basketball anyway? We know his knowledge is very, very thin. Who? And you're talking about Coach K. Come on now. Who? Salve. What about Salve? I like Salve. Oh, yeah. What do you end up saying? Hold on, hold on. It's obvious you can't call it a bash, Sully. I love Sully. What, 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 what do you got to say about Sully? I got. I mean, Sully's gonna find out. So you might. You've already started it. I'm just curious. I, I'm just saying. You know, he says Coach K isn't a good coach. No, no, no. He just said that he's not the best coach in his own profession because you know he said Wooden is. And I said, oh, I could agree with that. I think Coach K is the second best coach behind him. Uh, now he does think. Look, the, and a lot of that disdain for Coach K comes from just Coach K is just not likable because he's at Duke, just like anyone that manages the Yankees. You don't like them, or the you know the Lakers. You don't like the Lakers. I just think that that's that brand that's just naturally hated, um, as far as that goes. I don't. I don't like Duke at all. Period. You don't. Or none. But Coach K is a great coach. 
Oh, no doubt about it. I, I, I you know, yeah. look, that's why I'm also glad that they're doing this little farewell thing for him. Uh, not, they're not doing it for him, but I mean that they're doing one more. Yeah. That he is coaching one more season, uh, and I think that the best storyline ever would be them winning a national championship or at least getting to the final four. Get to the final four. Let his final season be in the final four. I think that'd be pretty cool. Now, yeah, I, I did have I, someone I just, say... I like, find it hard to root for Duke, though. No, here's this. So this is one of the tweets I got that I was like, come on, give me a break. Uh, hold on, i got to find it. Uh, you know, this guy's name is Adam Gutmuller. Shout out to Adam Gutmuller. He said something about... Uh, uh, where'd it go? Oh, the fact when Coach K couldn't win a national title with Zion, that that's how he knew that he wasn't a good coach. I said, "What do you, the best team in college basketball rarely wins a national title. Like, it's the hardest tournament to win. It's the hardest tournament yeah, to the win. The odds are stacked... The odds are stacked against you. It takes one bad game and you're gone. Oh, yeah. I mean, be, it's it not like college one, football. It where one you, bad half mm-hmm. and you're gone. I mean, when's the last time a team won a national championship in football that no one really thought would do that? I'm not saying it hasn't been done. I'm just, I can't think. Ohio State in, in 14. When's the last national title uh, championship team in football that everyone was surprised by? Mm. You know, football, it, it, it's, it, it's easier for those guys that have all the talent to win. You can have five five-star players exactly. that are freshmen and sophomore, but you run up against a team that's got five seniors and juniors who've been together for four or five years, and it's it's hard to beat that kind of a team. No, I'm with you. That's why I don't put a whole bunch of, you know, and then, of course, some other arguments, you know, well, Coach K is not even close to being as good as Wooden. I mean, Wooden had 10 titles in 12 years. Look, I, if you're basing everything just off title counts, that's very simplistic, and I think that's a weak argument. And again, I think Wooden's still the best of all time, no doubt about it. But I'm not going to put up with the Coach K slander. That's all. You know, back then, honestly, I mean UCLA, and we all know what was going off paywise there. They were just paying more money on the West Coast to keep all those kids home. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Coach, uh, hold on, but how much did, how much did they pay Kareem to come all the way from Harlem out there? They paid for his books. <laughs> <laughs> they were, yeah, they were paying for his books and a few other things. So there's no doubt. I mean, I mean that's pretty well documented. It's just like what's going on in Arizona. I mean, Sean didn't know, but he did know. Uh, I mean, look, is there so many people have called today about Arizona? Is it just because the Archie, uh, the 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 Archie comparison right there, or at least the connection? I should say. I mean, very interesting. It was a bad off season for the Ar- for the Archie family. I tell you that much for the Miller family. It's just been in the paper. It, not necessarily, you know, just Archie. It's just been in the paper. It's been in the headlines. Aye, aye. aye hey, Jay, are you a Bengals fan? No, God, no. What's wrong with you? You're a Browns fan, right? No Browns. No Browns. <laughs> All right. That's what I like to hear, babe. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Good for you. All right. I just want to make sure. You, you called in a little aggressive about the Browns, so I wasn't sure if you're a Browns or Bengals fan. I had to make sure. No, I, I actually don't play fantasy football because it's hard to root against the Browns players even. So it makes it a little tough. I uh, see when it, when I have money on the line I, I'm ruthless at that point. Uh, but uh, you know <laughs> if I was betting. If I was betting. That's you know. that's why I don't play fantasy. It's just because it's hard to root against the Browns players. Yeah, I, I took all. over a roster last year and I was my buddy told me, Hey, you're gonna take over this roster. It's a keeper league, you're not gonna win any money this year. But I, I ended up getting like Stephon Diggs. I had like I had really I had a really explosive roster. I ended up working out perfect actually. Uh, I had Devontae Adams and everybody and Stephon Diggs, like I I had uh, uh, Chubb, so it was it worked out pretty good. Had Lamar Jackson. That was like my weakest one. In fact, the only reason I won late and made the playoffs in mine is because I dropped Lamar for Baker Mayfield. And uh, Baker had higher numbers than Lamar those last couple weeks, and I ended up making the playoffs. So there you go. Like I said, Baker's always been better than Lamar. 
question, question for you. Yeah. You know, I know you're a Browns guy. I know that. Would you trade Baker and uh, Miles Garrett for Rodgers? Uh, you wouldn't have to trade both of them for Aaron Rodgers. The Packers don't have as much leverage as what everyone thinks that they do. Uh, but uh, I, I understand that. We did a we did a segment a couple weeks ago. I said absolutely. If if the if the Packers are willing to part ways with Aaron Rodgers for Baker Mayfield, you do it in a heartbeat. Um, the Aaron Rodgers. This would be. I mean, this roster with Aaron Rodgers is a guaranteed Super Bowl team. They're, they're as good as the Chiefs. Baker's good, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I think you. I think you'd give up your first and second for the next two years for that too. Possibly. I mean, as this as this thing goes on with the Packers, I mean, I'm really trying to figure out like the Packers. The reason I think the Packers don't care about what return they get for Aaron Rodgers because they're not trying to protect the. They're they're not they're not afraid to show their hand that there's still issues between the both sides. Like they're coming out publicly saying we're not trading him, we're not trading him. Like I find that very odd how public this has become as far as the statements from both sides. But who knows? You know, I've been a Browns fan from back when Leroy Kelly was there. Okay, so that tells you how old I am. There you go. And I would. I, <laughs> I would trade it in a heartbeat for that. I just think you have to. I mean, uh, there's a lot, and it's funny is is I did we I had asked the question about you know if the scenario in Green Bay happens in Cleveland or, or Cincinnati, how would the fan base react? Would they take Baker side or would they take the Brown side? Would they take Joe Burrow side or the Bengals side? And everyone in Green Bay is taking the Packers side. They are against uh, Aaron Rodgers. When the question when I was listening to sports radio in Cleveland around this time that this was brought up, everyone said the Browns would be stupid to give up a- a Baker Mayfield for Aaron Rodgers, and I'm like I think that's a foolish take. They said we've waited so long. To to get Baker Mayfield or to get a quarterback, that why would we give him up for one or two years of Aaron Rodgers? And I was like, so you would rather win eight to nine games a year, fringe wild card team for ten years over winning a Super Bowl guaranteed with Aaron Rodgers? That's a take. I, I can't. I can't jump on that trade. No, no, you give it up right now. I mean, I, I don't know how long I'll live, but I'd like to have that shot at the next two years Super Bowls. Uh, with how much I drink, I don't give myself much more time either. So there you go. But uh, all right, man, you take care. Appreciate the call. All right, have a good one. Later. I have no clue why I said that. I don't even drink that much to begin with. <laughs> you out <and> yourself. <laughs> I don't drink and I don't bet on sports. <laughs> I drink and bet on sports for entertainment purposes only. There you go. That's the disclaimer of all disclaimers. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kevin Nash next. Listen, stream, watch. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash right here on Dayton 